Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. The backup recorder is on, so I can't, air quote, lose the podcast and have to do it by myself. Doug, Nathan, Steven, we're not going to talk about Clemson. So if you are waiting for that, wait till next week. We are going to do a deep dive on the Buckeyes and the Tigers in a week when we have time to, like, digest all of them. My problem, I had, like, I have, like, six Oklahoma games on my DVR and, like, three Utah games. And as it turns out, no Clemson games. Anybody have a Clemson game? Yeah. You have a Clemson game? Yeah. I've, well, I've like, kept an eye on Clemson for this exact reason that I thought, like, after, like, week five, I'm like, these two teams might end up meeting in the national championship game. They're just meeting two weeks earlier than I thought they would. All right, game watch at Steven's house. That's good. I'm going to be able to break down Utah for whoever they're playing in the Alamo Bowl. But Clemson, I don't know much about. So what we're going to do is dig in on recruiting class. We're recording this Wednesday afternoon. We're getting a late start on it. I'll tell you about it, uh, why in a little bit. Um, but signing day is a week away. All the Ohio State coaches are out on the road recruiting right now, so we will dig into recruiting. Um, we'll talk a little bit about some of the perceptions of Ohio State. We'll, we'll, we're not going to ignore Clemson. We just are not going to get into d- matchups and how people are going to win the game or not win the game. Um, yet. Yet. Because we're going to study. We're actually going to study. So um, let's start. Wait, you decided that this is the point of the season where you do have to know the names of three players on the team yeah. that they're playing? If you're in the top five... I will know the people on your team. Someone like on the pot, yeah. It's sort of like a Heisman. It's the Le Maurice cutoff. The way there's a Heisman cutoff. Yeah, you've everybody's invited now. Everybody's invited to my basement, and I will figure out who you are uh, when we reach this point. Um, so we want to get in uh, to some stuff. I asked for some goofball questions, and we might get into some food questions <laughs> and stuff. Some people miss. Uh, you know, we've been kind of serious about football because they're thirteen and zero. Like, of course we're serious about football, but we'll, uh, we'll let our hair down a little bit. Um, and then we're probably, we're going to do daily podcasts when we get to Arizona. So get ready for that. Um, we'll have a, still two podcasts a week. So we'll have another thing on the weekend. Um, and we have two guests this week. One is Robert Letal, 
from Black Sports Online, who is an Ohio State journalism grad and who is a big Ohio State fan and uh, lives in California and does some work with TMZ. So I've talked to him and he had like an interesting perspective on the Buckeyes. And then I was just like interested in his career. He's like an entrepreneur um, as well as a journalist. So we talked about that. Um, he was really good. And then Chase Richardson, loyal listener, checked in because we just wanted to check in with Chase because he is maybe my favorite favorite listener. So um, get ready for those. But let's start with this. Minor thing, probably, from the 614. Speaking to both recruiting and Clemson, there are rumors, and they are no longer rumors. It's true that Clemson's offensive coordinator, who is Jeff Scott, may be taking a head coaching job. He took the head coaching job at South Florida. How do you think this impacts Ohio State's recruitment of 2012 skill players, and why does it seem like Clemson never loses key assistant coaches? I'm shocked Brent Venables has never bolted for a rumored head coaching job elsewhere. So, the thing that matters the most, yes, Ohio State and Clemson fight each other on the recruiting trail, but Jeff Scott is the co-OC. They did lose Chad Morris, who made his name as the offensive coordinator at Clemson, who was the offensive coordinator in 2013 when Ohio State and Clemson first played, and then he went off to do his thing. He was at, Where was he the head coach before? Was he, he was at SMU. He went to be the head coach at SMU. Then he got the Arkansas job. Then he stunks about at Arkansas. He already got fired. And now he's the new Auburn offensive coordinator. So anyway, they lost him and replaced him really smoothly. Um, and they haven't lost Brent Venables. I do think their consistency in their coordinators has been a secret to their success. Brent Venables is a huge part of their success. What do you think of the fact that their co-OC has a new job. What does that mean for this game? What does it mean for this game? I yeah, think, does I it mean, matter? Um, Split loyalties, divided focus. Clemson all upset. All the players are crying. Jeff Scott's leaving. They're so upset. I, I don't believe that that They're probably crying. is the case. Jeff, don't leave us. Well, it's a, it's a co-OC. It would be like, it, I guess it depends on whether, I mean, it, it, let's, let's break it down. Like, is, in Ohio State's case, would it be a bigger deal if one of the co-DCs left than the other one did? These are pretty co-co-OCs, as far as I can tell. Right. So you've got another offensive coordinator. I really don't know that it's going to affect them a whole lot from an X's and O's standpoint. Um, Tony Elliott's the other one. He's really right. good. And so, I, you know, like I said, it's you've had a whole season. You kind of know who you are at this point. And I, I don't know that it's going to have a major impact on the X's and O's of this game. Don't go, Jeff! Tom Herman left, and Tom Herman had a job in 2014, and Ohio State won the national title. You guys didn't bite on that at all. Nothing. It's right, not. Just, it shouldn't. Do you disagree? Like I don't. No, think I just thought maybe kind of... you would disagree, and then we could argue. <laughs> yes, this is a huge we deal should, for Clemson. We should organize that ahead of time, or you should give us some kind of hand signal. If this is the one, this is the one where you're supposed to just take a contrarian stance, just so we can argue. Oh no, no, we don't do that here. All my contrarian stances are rooted in actual things I think, which is part of the problem. Um, along those lines, Doug, your food takes are that of an eight-year-old girl. I don't know why. Do you think the palates of an eight-year-old boy are that much more sophisticated? Oh, I, I think uh, an eight-year-old girl probably has a more sophisticated yeah. palate than an eight-year-old boy. boy eats mulch. Like, uh, like to make that—that's uh, genderist. I'm not even going to continue from the five-one-three. It kind of reminds me of my mother-in-law. Apparently, your mother-in-law is an eight-year-old girl. <laughs> While I respect staying in your lane, so to speak, I respect even more going out of your comfort zone and trying new things. After the football season, I challenge you to go to a restaurant where there aren't 350 of them across America. Support your local economy and go take your wife to a nice gastro pub. She most definitely deserves more than chilies, I'm sure. This is my favorite podcast, though. Should I go? I mean, am I? Is chain restaurant eating 
a personality flaw. Yes. <laughs> um, it is if it if it is your preference, if it is your stated preference, if you I mean are, it's clearly my stated preference. Right. If you are like scared of going to a local establishment or something that isn't uh, bland on purpose, something that isn't uh, cooked in a way that you can walk into the same restaurant in any state any country in the world and get the same meal with the same kind of basic slash maybe lack of flavor, then yes, that's a personality flaw. And I think less of people like that. What you eat, though... People but, like that. I wonder who it could be. What you eat does not upset my stomach or do anything for me. So you do whatever you got to do. I'm not going to do that. I do. I mean, I do. Especially when I go to a college town, I like to go to the college place. I don't want to go to a chain in a college town. I want to go to, like, the college... You know, bar, pub, place, or the college pizza place, whatever. Like, I do like the local thing, but in I am more, exp- I am willing to be more experimental on the road. Although I still do go to Chili's a lot on the road. Let me see how I'm going to say this. My local places around me aren't very good, so I go to chain restaurants. Well, I that, don't apologize for that. That's the other thing. It's like it's a geography thing too, because like you live, we won't give you your specific address. Six. I'll text that out to people later. But you, you live in a, a suburban area around Columbus, so. You have probably a preponderance of chain restaurants around you that are very accessible. Whereas, whereas I live in the middle of Columbus, and I kind of have to go out of my way to go to a chain restaurant, other than like I guess fast food. Army you also bottles. live forty feet from a Popeyes, so yes. Uh, it's it's more <laughs> literally like, it's more like a quarter mile, but yeah. But it's like when you I go to Nathan's house, it's like where should you park? It's like park in front of Popeyes. Right. But but you would okay. But have I've you lived, been to that Popeyes? I live. Yes, I have. I've been. <laughs> that's where I first had and probably last had their overrated chicken sandwich. Um, I live about a block off of High Street. So my fiance and I like when we are thinking of where can we go to dinner, we look for what's a place we've never heard of that's around here that we can go to for the first time. We need to try all these places. So that's kind of been our task when we go out to dinner since we got here in August. All right, I don't want to get bogged down in this because we're going to get into recruiting. Sometimes though, have you gone to one of those places and been disappointed? Sure. And I also, I will tell you, ate at Chili's on Sunday night. And did it disappoint you? Eh, it was fine. Yeah, exactly. we it was we ate there because it was free. We had the coupons. So. This is an amazing conversation. You had free Chili's. I did. Yeah. If anyone from Chili's is listening, I could use some more free Chili's. They gave us free Chili's one time. Oh. Um, I have to say, from the five one three, there's a lot of the five one threes. I think that's Cincinnati. It is. So shout out to Cincinnati. I have to say I'm concerned about the amount of three-star talent in the 2020 class. I know we're fourth in the composite 247 rating, but the average player rating is significantly lower than the other top five teams. Taking four to six three-stars a year makes sense to me, but 10 seems like it may catch up against teams like Clemson, Alabama, or Georgia in the coming years. Their average player rating is much higher. Is this a problem down the road? Does it create depth issues in the years to come? I might have done this question on the other podcast, so I'll let you guys talk about this. Is 10 three-stars out of 25 too many? I I just want to say real quick, because I know that my reputation here precedes me. I I want to point out two things. Number one, Ohio State's total score at number four is 296.47, including including, according to 24-7 Sports, which is only eight points away, basically, from where Clemson is at number one. And then there's a 27-point drop to get down to number five. So Ohio State is much closer to being... One, two, or three than it is to being five as far as that number four ranking. The, the one thing, they also have a huge class. They have 25 already. Right. They are six. So I see what he's saying about the average. Six in the average star rating, which is another right. thing. Like but Texas, also, Texas and Georgia are ahead of them, but their classes are smaller. Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. But also, I would, I would caution people that 
one of the things, one of the ways that a staff is good at recruiting is that they go find the four stars who are supposed to be five stars and the three stars who are supposed to be four stars. And they get those guys as well as getting the guys who are five and four stars. So at the end of the day, the only recruiting ranking that matters is the one that determines how many games you won looking back four years. Which is usually determined by what your recruiting ranking was. Roughly. At the time. Roughly. And none of that is the reason why it's not a problem. It's not a problem because the majority of these three stars are Ohio kids. And that's where your base is. Ryan Day's made it a point to say we're going to get these Ohio, we're going to get Ohio kids. We're going to get the best Ohio kids. But we're also going to you know, take some three-star guys who are Ohio kids. It's only two of them that aren't Ohio kids. And one of them's a linebacker. And one of them's, a, and, no, I'm sorry, three of them. One's a linebacker, and the other two are offensive line, which they're going to have to reload at some point. And they're, they're clearly trying to get offensive linemen. They've got six guys in this class. Other than that, all of these kids are Ohio kids, and that gets your base so that when there is a Paris Johnson Jr. or a Jack Sawyer in 2021 or a Ben Chrisman, you can go get those guys because you've already established yourself in your home state. So that's why it's not a problem. And I do think – do you think uh, Ryan Day as someone – who is not from Ohio, needed to do that. 100%. There's a guy by the name of Jackson Carmen, and I'm going to have a story about him next week, who's a five-star guy from Southern Ohio. And they didn't get him. They lost him to Clemson, ironically enough, and that's who they're going to play in the college football playoff. Well, what's been the reaction to that? You went and got a bunch of guys from Southern Ohio. You went and got the next Jackson Carmen. That's Paris Johnson Jr. He's Cincinnati. You got Darion Hendry. He's Cincinnati. You went and got Jacob James, Cincinnati. You went and got Jake Siebert, your kicker from Cincinnati. Joe Royer from Cincinnati. So you reacted to, you lost a five-star guy from Southern Ohio. So you went and just got guys that you evaluated. One, the five-star kid, but then you got other kids from Ohio who may be three stars, but you evaluated and thought it was worth the risk. And they're from that same area. Cause now that's not going to happen again. The next time there's a five-star kid in Southern Ohio. Well, I mean, it's not like they weren't recruiting Ohio before. No, but it, it, there is a, like, when you, when you lose something, when you lose something, like, it's clear you should have that guy in your home state. You can have a bit of an overreaction sometimes in order to make sure that, like, you're sustained there. I'm not saying that they weren't doing it before, but, like, there was cl- a clear emphasis on Southern Ohio. And Ryan Day class. was the only new coach in this, on the staff that needed to make more inroads into Indiana or into Ohio. You, you could say the same thing about Jeff Halfley too, probably. I mean, there's other guys who came onto this staff coming into this year where it makes a lot of sense for this program to try to kind of double down on making sure that it's really embedded here and getting the guys it wants in Ohio and having a presence here. So here's the deal. And, and it's one of those things. It's not like they have, they do not have a history of losing guys out of Ohio that they want. Jackson Carmen was a huge deal. Yeah. But it was an outlier. Um, the 2020 class has two five stars. Okay, the only schools with more five stars are Clemson with six and Bama and LSU with three. Um, Georgia, Ohio State, Notre Dame are among the schools with two. So it, Clemson is going nuts with the five stars, right? But they are in the mix with basically everybody else. Yeah. I think part of the more interesting thing here is comparing Ohio State against itself. And so I'm gonna I, I'm gonna take a minute here because there's a point I want to make so that I can make a second point. The three defining classes under Urban Meyer were all ranked second in the country: 2013, 2017, 2018. 2000, the 2013 team led to a national title. The 2017 is the backbone of this group. The 2018 class will provide the foundation mm-hmm. for what comes next. In 2013, Ohio State's average star rating was 93.14. 
In 2017, it was 94.59. And in 2018, it was 94.29. How many players? So that's the average star rating. Okay. So, I mean, that's why I used average star rating and not total points. Okay. This year, the average star rating is 91.85. So it is two and a half points below the mm-hmm. 17 and 18 class. Okay. So it, those guys at the, the, the bottom half of this class, I think the top half is almost as good. They did have five, five stars in 2017. They only have two this year. And the five, five stars in 2017 were Chase, Okuda, Browning, Wade. Yeah, I mean, like, we're the guys who are, like, awesome. So you can't dismiss that. It's like, well, they're only, they have two. That's pretty good. It's, it's, you know, yeah, they had five, but still two's pretty good. It's like, well, if the three guys that you're missing from this class are Chase, Okuda, and Sean Wade, then you're going to have a different team in three years. You know what I mean? So I'm not downplaying the fact that they don't have as many five stars. I want to make this point because I have often been in favor of more Ohio kids. I want to look at the 2015 class. That class had 11 kids who were three stars or lower. And there is a point there that I want to make that relates to the point that Stephen has made. Let's look at those kids who were three stars who were from Ohio. Liam McCullough, starting long snapper. Davon Hamilton, fifth-year defensive tackle, playing great. Rashad Berry. Tight end mix, important part of the team. Uh, Robert Landers, fifth-year defensive tackle, important part of the team. Those are the Ohio three stars. Something happened? What happened? Chase Young won an award, and I'm getting ready to have a post about it. The Hendricks. Oh, Ted Hendricks was nicknamed the Stork. Um, Those are the kids from Ohio, okay, in that class. All turned into players that helped this team. Here are the three stars from that class who are not from Ohio. Grant Schmidt, offensive lineman from South Dakota, transferred before he you know, did nothing and transferred. Kevin Feeder, offensive lineman, New Jersey, did nothing and transferred. Josh Norwood, cornerback from Georgia, did, did nothing and transferred. A.J. Alexander, tight end from Virginia, did he's the butt fumble guy from 2016 transferred Brandon Bowen from Utah big hit right Josh Allaby from Michigan good moderate hit Damon Arnett from Florida big hit okay so the point of that is all the Ohio guys helped you I am in favor of a class that brings in players who turn into Davon Hamilton Rashad Berry and Robert Landers okay and look how far down on that list you got before you even hit the home runs and like, s- as far as what their ranking was, their score. So I, to Steven's point, that when the three-star kids, I think there was a difference between a three-star kid from Ohio mm-hmm. and a three-star kid not from Ohio. I am in favor of three-star kids from Ohio. Tyvis Powell, Darren Lee, Malik Harrison, all the other guys we can name over time. I am much less favor in favor of three-star kids from outside of Ohio. Because the, when they're outside from Ohio, right, the Ohio guys were good. The non-Ohio guys were either home runs or zeros. So there are going to be some zeros in your class, but if you had 10 guys that were all going to be home runs or zeros, that's a problem. But when they're Ohio kids, you can form a foundation. They can be 
co-starters. They can be solid backups. Maybe some of them turn into Pat Elfline or Darren Lee or Malik Harrison. So, like, if you're worried about this, to the original point of this, the strategy of three-star Ohio kids, I think, is a good one. And then, if you find guys like Damon Arnett, who's probably was more talented than the 653rd recruit in the country, needed a little, you know, maybe it was a little raw, mm -hmm. right? But they got him in here, and they helped him turn into a great player. Brandon Bowen, maybe a little raw. They got him in here and turned him into a great player. That's my main thing. So, like, my that's my long point to say this class in a lot of ways does not stack up to 17, 18, and 13. But it does stack up to a class like 15. And at the top, 15 had guys like Jerome Baker and Mike Weber and Jay Sean Cornell. And actually, a lot of guys at the top of 15 missed a little bit. Some of these lower guys are helping them now. So that... The rankings still matter. Under Ryan Day, I'm not sure the, the class rankings will ever be as high in raw numbers as Urban Myers were because Day, I think, year after year is going to take more classes like this where Urban's average class was more like the 13, 17, 18 class and this 15 class was more of an outlier. I think this 15 class is more what Ryan Day is going to do all the time, and we're seeing it in 2020. But also, sometimes it pays out where you get the best of both worlds, because I, to look ahead a little bit, the 2021 class has a bunch of Ohio guys, but they're five- and four-star guys. So, like, sometimes it's going to work in your favor where then you're not going to have to take a bunch of three-star Ohio guys because you can just go get the seven best players from your state. That's the thing. The, the, the thing that I think is the important point in all of this with the in-state recruiting is – you need to be able to capitalize on the relationships that you have built when your state recruiting is strong, mm -hmm. but you can't be so reliant upon it that you say, oh, well, Ohio's classes weren't as good the last couple of years. I guess we'll finish sixth in the Big Ten now. And that's the line. Urban, I think, reached a point where what was happening in Ohio was like almost irrelevant and not in a bad way, but just in the way of like, well, we're only going to take like six or eight or 10 kids from Ohio no matter what. Whereas I do think with Day, on up years, they may take classes that look more like Trestle classes. They may have 15 kids from Ohio in the best years. But when Ohio's not as hot, then it'll look like an urban class. Trestle when Ohio's good. Trestle when Ohio is good. Urban when Ohio is not as good. So Boom, I just crystallized it. Let me go right there. I think some of this is a really tricky dance, too. And I think Ryan Day, just from listening to him talk, I think he probably sees that it can be prudent to – who are the ones – who are the guys that we get a lot of questions about when they're not playing? It's guys who came in as five stars or four stars, and people wonder why they're not playing, and they assume they're going to transfer. And they don't ask those questions when those guys are three stars, even though those all those players might be making essentially the same contributions as backups on special teams, uh, reserves, you know, a spot star, whatever. And I, I think it probably is more prudent to take a guy uh, – is the three star who maybe grew up rooting for Ohio State or following Ohio State or just kind of – feeling the mystique of Ohio State in a way that a, a, a four-star from California or Florida didn't, is that guy going to ultimately help your program over four years better than a guy who comes here, loses out quickly, and then gets, you know, um, gets frustrated and leaves, which I think is what we've seen happen many times. I mean, and again, it is. It is a delicate dance, but I just think, I do think Brian Day is going to dance it a little differently than Urban Meyer. And I think he's going to dance it a little differently than Jim Trestle. And it will be somewhere in between. And I think the question is, can Ohio State win at this level 
that they have been winning at under Urban Meyer if that's the way Ryan Day is dancing? Or do you have to dance like Urban Meyer to win like Ohio State won under Urban Meyer? Yeah, and I think also to go back to the original question, just to make people, sure people... What was the original it question? Right well, the, 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 the original question, the person had some concerns about the average ranking for the players in the class. Average star rating for the class is six. Right. right. And you got to remember, not all of those, what is it, 10 three-stars? Like, not all of those guys... It's not like they deliberately took a three-star when they could have maybe taken a four- or five-star at that spot. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's not well, like they were giving up, necessarily. Well, I, I actually disagree with that to some extent. They took some of these Ohio offensive linemen really early at a time when they could have waited. They could have gotten a four-star guy from somewhere else, but they locked some of these Ohio guys down early. So, But the, but they, they also just may also not be taking a 25-man class if they had waited. No, they would take a 25-man class. Yeah. They, they would be able to get the guys they need to get. But what has happened in the past is that sometimes if you let some of those three-star Ohio guys linger and Michigan State or Illinois or Kentucky or Purdue gets their hands on them, then if you strike out on a couple guys and you end up coming back to them, now they might be locked into Kentucky or Michigan State and say, too bad, Wisconsin, too bad, you could have had me before, you can't have me now. They would have wound up with somebody. But then what you end up winding up with is you didn't take the Ohio kid early who was ranked 500. You shot for a national kid who was ranked 75. You don't get the national kid ranked 75. You come back to the Ohio kid ranked 500. And he says, too late, you ignored me before. And you end up with like a national guy who's 423. Right. Yeah. Who that's transfers what I'm after about. two years. Right. You get somebody, and maybe the national guy turns out to be good. Maybe the national guy is Brandon Bowen. Great. Right. But, man, maybe the national guys, Grant Schmidt and Kevin Feeder and all those linemen that I refer to that makes Ed Warren or mad. Hey, Ed, if you're listening, why don't you text me again? Sometimes you miss an offensive line recruiting. Text me another story. <laughs> you took that really personal. No, 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 no. Because it was a story that was 85% positive about Ed Warner and said, you know what? He recruited a lot of guys in these two classes that didn't work out and transferred. And his feelings got hurt. What are you going to do, Ed? If someone hurts so your feelings, fact. what I are mean, you going to do? You're you going to get passive aggressive and just shut down for two hours? <laughs> well, and it's a fact, too. Like, you can, you can just, it's a fact whether the guy is there or not. Yeah. Facts, Ed. I deal in facts. I finally realized why Nick Saban won't come north. He can't hack it with Michigan State. He was 6-5-1, and 6-6, 7-5, 6-6, and then finally 10-2. and two. He's afraid of the north. He knows the Big Ten is a better conference. Are you guys sad? I mean, they're locking in. This is a thing from a couple weeks ago. Do you wish they would play Alabama? Like, I am wrapped up. I really wish. They scheduled the thing. Who'd they schedule? Georgia. No. Who do I say schedule? Who'd they just I schedule? It, I think I'm pretty – it might – Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. yeah. In 2061. Yeah. Do you? I really wish that was Bama. Am I alone there, or do you really think these teams have never played on each other's campuses? Does that does that stick in your craw? Is it just me? Yeah, I think it's one of those things that would be really good for college football. Um, I think one of the things that could be a factor there, though, more than Nick Saban being afraid of someone, um, is that you know Alabama. This is the exception to them, you know, not being in a college football playoff. They're there every year. This is Ohio State's third time in six years. It's just two teams that very likely would play each other in a given November slash December. Uh, that might be a factor in why they don't see a point to, to making that happen with the, with the non-conference schedule. 
Does it stick in your cross, Steven? Uh, no, not really. I'm going to, like, the top, like, five teams in college football, like, if they're good enough, they're going to play each other at the end of the season anyway in the college football playoffs. So them not playing in week one or two of the regular season, I don't think, I don't care that much anymore. Okay. I would like the crew's opinion of Roosters. I hear it about it a lot on Letterman Row. Thanks, from the 319. I think the reason you hear about it on Letterman Row is because I think they make money from Roosters. Can they get to do a thing in there? Can we make some money? Hey, we're doing, uh, if you're on Facebook, if, if you're Russian or you're a grandmother and you're on Facebook. Um, Says the guy with the AOL <laughs> email address. The one thing about AOL is that it is not hacked by Russians because the Russians <laughs> would not waste their time on AOL. We have hacked the system from 1996 email. <laughs> there is fantasy baseball score. Do you want Team of Weasel finish third? That was really good. I would do the whole podcast in a Russian accent if I, if you guys wouldn't get up and leave. The <laughs> what is this? I was gonna, I was gonna thing. I was gonna say. No, I'll say. It. What is penis enlargement ad in here for? Um, <laughs> it's a different podcast. What is... Woo! Oh, man. <laughs> this man go to Disney World all the time. You sound he like... Spend... What's the dude's name from um, <laughs> Minions? From the Minions movie? Despicable Me? Yeah. Uh, Groot. I'm Groot. Um, I like roosters. Oh, we're going to do ads. We're going to do Facebook ads for Buckeye Talk. We did Facebook ads for the text thing. So if you're on Facebook and you saw it, get ready for some Buckeye Talk Facebook ads. And they're also sending us a new microphone and like, I don't know. What do we think of roosters? You have not been to roosters? I have still not been to roosters. This just came up when we got back to the Woody on Sunday from Indianapolis. There was a roosters truck parked there. And I remarked like, oh, is roosters any good? And it quickly devolved into conversation about something else. But I no, I still haven't had roosters. <laughs> was it on a podcast that you asked? No, it wasn't. No, no. It, it just, just evolved in normal conversation. Just the three of us in the car. Uh, are you a roosters man, Stephen? Yes, I grew up like right next to a roosters. Roosters is by far the greatest chicken restaurant I've ever had in my life. If they want to give us a sponsorship, I will easily say that at, in, during every single podcast and every YouTube video. Yeah, I would say it for like five boneless wings. As a matter of fact, I would like hint at it in every story I wrote. It would be, you know, yeah. I would ease it in, like it wouldn't be an ugly ad. Yeah. But you would see the word roosters in every yeah. one of my posts. Baron Brownie is tackling like as hot as donkey sauce. <laughs> I love roosters. Buffalo Wild Wings started in Columbus, but I do not think Buffalo Wild Wings is that good. And I think I got in a fight with Buffalo Wild Wings, so you can cram at Buffalo Wild Wings on Twitter. I think I got in a Twitter fight with them, right? Didn't I? You did. Yeah. I am not going to say that, but I will say this. If you want to give us a sponsorship, oh. I will easily switch loyalties I've, I've in eaten, public. I've eaten plenty of B-dubs in my life, but I've found that I've started to go there more and more just on, like, the Thursday cheap bonus or whatever. Like, I'm not going to pay full freight for Buffalo Wild Wings. Do you think that boneless wings are just chicken nuggets? No, I think chicken nuggets are a, a different consistency. Yeah. But I don't think they're wings either. But I don't, I don't know what like, a chicken nugget is. Why do people love chicken chicken uh, boneless wings are basically chopped up tenders. Too. Yeah. But what is the appeal of a bone? Like I don't the, like ribs and stuff eating the meat off the bone, chicken wings eating the meat off the bone. I'm happy for someone to debone my meat. 
I think it depends on what you're doing. If I'm in the comfort of my own home, I want the bone because I just want it like it just tastes better. But if I'm out in public setting and it's like multiple people, it's, you just look like a savage to have like your fingers all like sauced well, up and everything. Yeah, we also we're, we eat like approximately like seventy three percent of our meals in cars. True. So yeah. the boneless wings are a big help there. I like the uh, the Chipotle barbecue, like the rub. That's what I get at, at Buffalo Wild Wings. So it's not even a sauce. Like you usually have some ranch or something, whatever. But so I'm I keep my fingers clean. When I'm in the privacy of my own home, I like the bone. That's what Steven said. Um, it seems like there's a lot of speculation about Jeff Halfley taking the – I think Roosters is very good. Taking the Boston College job, do you think that his most recent recruiting visits, especially with Clark Phillips, is a hey, how you doing type of visit or hey, I'm taking the BC job kind of visit? Um, this BC thing has been lingering in the rumor bill for a long time. This is a window when guys take jobs. Again, Jeff Scott just took the South Florida job. So I will say this. I think that Ohio State defensive coordinator should be able to do better than Boston College. However, the Penn State offensive coordinator just took the Old Dominion job. But the Appalachian State head coach who was there for a year just got the Missouri job. And the offensive line coach at... Georgia? Georgia took the Arkansas job. So right. I don't know. It feels like to me like the Old Dominion got a better coach than Missouri did. I, I just think Jeff Halfley can do better. Now, it's been in the rumor mill long enough. I did say hey to Jeff Halfley, liked your Broyles speech. And he was like, oh, yeah, man, I don't, don't usually get that emotional. If you haven't seen his speech at the Broyles Awards, Stephen has a post on it. Make sure you go find that on Cleveland.com. Um I just think he can do better. But am I crazy? Sometimes I get a bad, like it's a bad, it is a power five job. There's only 65 of them. I just think Jeff Halfley in two years could be the next head coach at Minnesota. And I think Minnesota would be a better job than Boston College. Now, I don't know. Do you look at Boston College and think I can own the Northeast? I can out-recruit Rutgers and UMass and Connecticut and everybody else up there. I can build a power and the ACC stinks and I can rise up. Boston College made back-to-back ACC title games 15 years ago with Matt Ryan. Like, is that is that what Jeff Halfley might be thinking? I definitely think the ACC stinks, um, and I definitely think he's a coach that will have success as a head coach someday. And and you're right; it wasn't that long ago, really, that Boston College was relevant. You, you had it in your list of of some of the the repeat um, matchups, yeah. and and they were they were ranked like number two in the country, which I had forgotten that they were ranked that highly. Really, not that long ago, um, within the lifetime of current college players. So, I agree with you that I think that if I were him, I would probably wait for maybe more of a sure thing because I think that opportunity could be there. Especially, you know, it's one thing that you came in and you had Chase Young and you had Jeff Okuda and you had all these other really good defensive talents. And yes, you took them and made something really you know better with them. But all those guys are leaving next year, and now next year is really the year that you can impress people. I think as far as a coordinator and recruiter, as far as who you're bringing in and how you're putting next year's defense together. So the real question is, how good of a coach does he think he is? Because if he thinks he's like a decent coach, yeah, Boston College, they were one of the best teams in the ACC. They had Matt Ryan, a first top 10 draft pick, yada, yada, yada. Then, okay, maybe the Boston College job is good for him. But if he thinks that, like, he can be the type of coach that if he gets, if he waits and gets the right job, he can turn a team into a national championship contender, then yeah, he needs to wait. And like, from what he's shown this year, both with, with Jeff Okuda and that secondary, but also what he's shown on the recruiting trail, 
I'm not gonna sit here and say he's gonna be the next Nick Saban or Urban Meyer because that's crazy talk. But like, if like I do think that there is a situation where if he gets the right job with his skill set and what he's already shown, he can turn a team into a possible national championship contender. So in that circumstance, if that's the case, if he thinks he's that good, then he needs to wait because Boston College is not going to be one of those teams. Brent Venables, again, is a direct comparison for this game, yeah. an interesting comparison overall. Brent Venables was the co-defensive coordinator at Oklahoma starting in 99, and then he was the full defensive coordinator at Oklahoma from 04 to 11, and then he became the Clemson defensive coordinator in 12. So he has been a high-level defensive coordinator for 15 years. Getting paid a lot to do it, too. He is 48 years old. He's not been in a hurry. So, I mean, I don't think I don't think Jeff Halfley is going to wait 15 years. But again, he has a young family. He has moved around a lot. I was confused by a little thing. And Jeff Halfley, if you're listening to this, didn't he tell us earlier this year that he always knew he was going to come back to college football? Because when he gave but his then he royal said, like, speech, I never thought I was coming back to college football. Yeah, he was like, I thought I was going to be in the NFL for good. I want to be an NFL coordinator or an NFL head coach. And I was like, dude, I wrote a story that said the exact opposite of that. Got, this is this is where emotion takes over, and you forgot that you got to be PR. Like, you got to stick to the script, Jeff yeah. Halfley. I mean, he's telling he's he's wowing the audience. I mean, he had the audience. Oh yeah, he had me. I was a little emotional. You cried. Yeah. I didn't cry, but it was definitely, <laughs> right. it was, it, it was good. It was a good speech. It was a good speech. For a guy who didn't win, that was a heck of a speech. Yeah. He didn't win? No. Uh, who won? Did the LSU, LSU guy passing guy game yeah. coordinator. The LSU won. passing coordinator who has said he's staying. He's yeah. not going anywhere. Right. So I just, to me, you can do better than Boston College. Now, what does that mean? Because we're talking about that there's only 65 power conference jobs. That's certainly, that's not number 65. No, but I mean it's, it's, it might be number forty-five. But if but you can get it, number yeah. fi- if you can get fifteen, but what? But like fifteen is like Oklahoma State. Yeah, that's. I mean, like fifteen is like Washington. I think fifteen is like okay. Fifteen to twenty are these schools where like they've been good and they're just not like Florida State. Like they've had has history of being good. Right now, they're just not that. Right. Tom Herbert, like Texas had a, a comparison to last year down here, so we're not going to include him. Uh, UCLA, they've had their moments, but they're down right now. Miami have had their moments, but they're down. I think that's where the 15 to 25 range is, and I think he's good enough to get one of those jobs. It, it can be hard. Now, again, Kirby Smart got it. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you might have to make the in-between step. Tom Herman went to Houston, which wasn't a top yeah. 20 job. George is a perfect example of well, that. Well, Kirby Smart is the ideal. Th- I mean, Kirby Smart is the dream thing. But Georgia hard- was... 15 to 25 area and like but they oh no 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 I th- they've had their moments but they've also had some down moments as well like, yeah but it's about tradition and recruiting and resources they were that's a top 12 job anyway right. that it's uh, but a lot of those places often want head coaching experience right Mike Norvell yeah. had to go to Memphis before he could mm-hmm. go but I think I'd rather go to Memphis than Boston College I'd rather go to a non-power five where you can win right away I'd rather go to Cincinnati like Luke where you Fickle, can have like a 12 and win and, yeah. and, if, and then your next jump is big power five if you go to the wrong lower level power five you can kill your career hello Chris Ash or yeah. Ryan Day having that Mississippi State offer and not taking it. And Joe Moorhead is already like on borderline on the hot seat this well, year. Well, Ryan Day is playing for a national championship. And, and, and Joe Moorhead was as hot as the Penn State offensive coordinator as any coordinator in the country. Yeah. And it's not like it's not like that job 
stunk. I mean, it's not Vanderbilt. You know, like it was it was decent. They've been decent, but it's right. hard, man. Yeah, and I it, wouldn't take it. And I think the other thing to remember is too. I mean, you know, you you mentioned you know Halfley saying kind of one thing at one time, one thing at another time. As far as the NFL, like, does he look at a job like Boston College and say, I would rather be the head coach of Boston College than the defensive coordinator of the Lions or whoever? You know yeah. what I mean? Like that that has that comes into too. Like there may be there may be head coaching jobs that are better than being a defensive coordinator and uh, better college head coaching jobs that are better than being an NFL coordinator. And there's some that he may not look at that way because he's got a lot of options in front of him. I think he is a guy that is attractive probably to 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 organizations at both levels. Uh we'll take a break in a second from the two oh eight. What effect does Urban Meyer working for ESPN's competitor have on his ranking in the all-time coaches list? Is it a conspiracy? Several people asked mm-hmm. about this. I wrote about this uh, on Tuesday. If you didn't see it, ESPN came out. It's, part, it's the 150th anniversary of college football, so a lot of people are doing 150-year anniversary things. ESPN's been doing something all year. They have a blue-ribbon panel of 150 experts. I don't know who it is. It's former players, coaches, media members, whatever. Um, and they ranked the greatest college football coaches of all time. And there was not really any specificity of what they were saying, which I think is best. So it's like winning, you know, impact on the game. It's all these different things. And Urban Meyer was 46th. And I thought it was embarrassingly dumb to have him 46th. It's all levels of coaches. So if you take out people who did a decent amount of work at lower levels, like including Trestle, Jim Trestle was higher than Urban with all the national ties he won at Youngstown State, if you only go guys who did it all at, or all or the great great part of it at the highest level, Urban would be 39th. So it's not like, oh, he's down that far because there's a bunch of Division three guys ahead of him. There are like seven guys ahead of him. I thought it was bonkers. He has the third highest winning percentage of all time. There's only, I think, five or six coaches who have won more national titles. He has three national titles. You can go read my thing... The phrase ridiculously bonkers is how the headline ends. What did you guys think of it? And a lot of people have come out with this. I don't think it's a conspiracy theory, but the suggestion of the fact that he works for ESPN's competitor, did that have an influence? I I would be surprised if they were. I think it was more just incompetence than it is, you know, a conspiracy of some kind. I just don't understand. I just don't understand what criteria they're using. I mean, here was a guy who made who made Utah relevant on the national stage in a way that they had never been relevant before. And I would argue that Utah is still relevant today because Urban Meyer was once there and built that program. And then he goes on to Florida, wins two national championships, does everything he does with all the great players he brings in there. You stop it there, I think he's better than 46th. And then throw on top of that just dominating the Big Ten for a seven-year stretch at Ohio State. And winning changing a national the Big championship. Ten. I mean, just the yeah, the influence he's had at, in now three different regions of the country and the, the widespread influence. I, obviously, people who've been listening to this podcast know I'm not an Ohio State homer. I'm not from here. I, I you know, I cut my teeth covering other programs in the Big Ten, and it, it baffles me that someone would look at Ohio State or Urban Meyer's body of work and not think he's one of the – I, I think he's got to be in the top 10. I don't know how you don't put him in the top 20 or 30 or 40. So, the first underclassman to ever win the Heisman Trophy was Tim Tebow. He played for Urban Meyer. He is the reason why Ohio State had to change its approach as far as its playing style. Because he blew them out when he was at Florida, 41-14 to in a national championship game when Ohio State had been the number one team in the country the entire year with the Heisman Trophy winner. 
He comes here and he has the perfect quarterback for how he wants to play. And they went, they go undefeated. And the only reason they're not competing for a national championship game is because they have sanctions and they can't compete for it, go to any bowl game. He loses nine games the entire time he's here. And none of those are to the team that is a part of the biggest rivalry in sports. He's seven and zero in that rivalry, which is a ridiculous thing to say that in the biggest rivalry in sports, you never lost. I mean, that's one of the top 10 coaches. Like, that's a lot. That's just like a small version of like all the things Urban Meyer has done as a head coach in college football. I mean, he, I, I thought he was top 10. Like, I just have been saying that without even thinking about it. So for him to be that low is pretty, it's, it's, it's a little, it's in the words of Stephen A. Smith, it's disrespectful. So, but, so, so I wrote in the thing, I have referenced him as a top 10. Ryan Day trying to replace one of yeah. the top 10 coaches in college football history. If you really look at the list, I could see why he's maybe not top 10. There okay. are some really good guys Okay, so in there, top 15, like, top 20. He is definitely top 20, and he's probably no lower than, like, 14th. And he certainly has a case for top 10. So I, I don't know how they tabulated it. Sometimes you add stuff up, and everybody votes, and you add it up, and you look at it, and it's like numbers are numbers, and you added it up. If see, I had been in that room, and we added it up, and Urban Meyer was 46th, I would have said... He can't be 46. And that, see, that's why, like, numbers are great and analytics are great, but like, numbers don't lie. No, they don't. They're, that's what it is. But they always don't tell the whole story. And that's the thing here. Urban Meyer's impact at Bowling Green, Utah, Florida, and Ohio State. I don't know if there's that many coaches who have had that type of impact at four different schools. In modern, in the modern, in era, the modern so. era. Yeah. But also, but the numbers also tell the story. He has the third highest winning percentage of anybody who's won <laughs> at least a hundred games, and he's won three national titles, which again, only four or five people have won more. So, but what, what do we, so the, in the end, the reason, the five second answer of why he was 46 was, your answer, Nathan, is? Well, it kind of goes back to what I've argued about Chase Young. Sorry, we're going to five seconds. But are there people who leave him off the ballot entirely or really uh, penalize him for what they perceive as black marks around the programs that he was at? Steven. I just think people thought too hard about the numbers sometimes. Like They focus way too – like the black mark thing is probably a reason, but I just think it's, you got too deep into what some numbers say that may not be in his favor that like you thought too hard. There are 22 people on the list who were ahead of him who had fewer wins than him. Like, it's not the numbers. It can't be because the numbers would well, not what, put him 46. Whatever it is, like they thought too hard about something and like they, they allowed – They overthought it. Yeah, which sometimes you can do. Um. I hate conspiracy theories. I don't like when people talk about, oh, TV ratings are going to influence who gets into the playoff and that kind of thing. Because I think there's a lot of times the job you have is so hard that what happens is the job was just hard and you might have screwed it up. But you didn't even have time to think about bringing in this these other conspiracy type of things yeah. that come into it. I just can't believe that nobody stood up and said, this makes our list look stupid. So I don't know if they didn't show people the list or if people are afraid of people at ESPN because you need people in the room who say that list is stupid and somebody should have said it because it is. Uh, One last theory. Did they do it to get the kind of attention that they've gotten for their list? But to have people rip them? I I mean, people are going to talk about it anyway because people are going to go, oh, here are the top ten guys. And they put a lot of work into it. Yeah, it's like like, when you do – and every time you do lists like this, people are going to talk anyway and say, oh, somebody shouldn't have been in it and somebody should have been in it. So, like, I don't know if, like – I have a hard time. I had, like – when I was voting the AP poll and I was voting weird and people were like, you're just doing it for attention. I was like, 
for the attention of like everybody calling me an a hole. Right. Yeah, for that's the not attention of like I everybody saying well, I'm yeah. stupid. Listen, like what? I why would I want too. that attention? Being on but, poll attacks is not fun. Like, but I will also say, <laughs> what's the point? I mean, that's not a thing that people do on purpose. No. <laughs> to, to use the AP poll example, like I, we talked before about the kind of the spreadsheet stuff that I put together with the computer rankings every Sunday morning, and I go down that list, and if I see, I don't just then transpose those rankings over into my vote. I look at each thing and say, oh, wait, does that make sense, or is there maybe something in the numbers that doesn't make sense? This team really should be higher. This team really should be lower. I don't think, yeah, if you're just going by just a, a raw collection of numbers, I think that's where you can have a, a big mistake, and this was a huge mistake. We had a couple other people check in on this from the 314. Hey, Doug, I'm addressing this to Doug since you are the resident Urban Meyer apologist. I don't know if that's true. You can go find the thing I wrote that I said Ohio State can't trust Urban Meyer anymore. Um, do you ever get tired or frustrated by the lack of respect that Urban seems to get in the national media? Urban being number 46 is beyond ridiculous. Do you think people would give Urban more credit if Ohio State would have struggled this year without him? That is part of the thing. Someone I saw someone bring up the point, well, he left Florida a mess. Well, as you pointed out, he left Utah in great shape. He left Ohio State in great shape. And I'll tell you, the guy, John Yachonsky from Old Miss, who coached in the 50s, who's one spot ahead of him, how'd he leave the program? Nobody knows because that's not a factor. But do you think, like, I think Ryan Day succeeding like, in Urban's footprints, is a right. plus for Urban. Oh, I think so, too. I think it, it enhances why, how you look at his status, or his his tenure at Ohio State, that he left this much talent intact. Now, you, you could, I mean, is it, is it, I don't know how you give him credit, I, I don't know how you take credit away from Ryan Day for what he's done with this talent and not give Urban Meyer credit for putting it here to begin with. I, I mean, guess is what I'm saying. And I'm not going to try to play it both ways with Urban because you could, you know, you could say, well, he gets credit for leaving Ohio State and Utah in good shape, and he didn't leave Florida in good shape. But it just goes to show that winning at Florida isn't an automatic thing, and then they can keep. So he did leave Florida in bad shape. That was a weird ending. He put that program in a difficult position. He did have a bunch of guys arrested. He wanted a high level. I think in that moment, he felt like he did what he had to do to get Florida over the top. He had some health issues. The pressure got to him. He'd left that in a way that he would not have picked to leave that. So if you want to knock him a little bit for the way he left Florida, I can understand if that factors in to some degree. But he still won two national championships well, in Florida. And the point is about the SEC thing. In 2006 and what he did, he was a leader in the spread offense revolution, which mm-hmm. is which is what the modern, modern, football college, now. modern yeah. college football and the last... 15 years is about two things, honestly. The spread offense and SEC domination. And Urban Meyer started both. So he's not perfect. And if you want to ding him for the Zach Smith stuff to some degree, if you want to ding him for the Florida arrest to some degree. They're not dinging Jim Tressel for the way he left Ohio State. And Joe Paterno's seventh. And Joe Paterno, And Barry Switzer did a lot of stuff, and he's 13th. And I don't think Barry Switzer should be ahead of Urban. And he's like 30 spots ahead of Urban. Jimmy Johnson was too low too. Yeah. I, I, Are there people okay. who just don't like her? No, so I do is have that a, what this comes down to. Is there just a faction? You I think, of? yeah, and that was to my. I think you're right. I think because the Jimmy Johnson thing is also like Jimmy Johnson's Miami, and like that was like this like short window of like crazy greatness, but like you know people didn't like it. There were some people who didn't rub the right way, and like maybe that's the case with Urban Meyer where. What he did at Florida maybe just doesn't rub some people the right way. I will say, and if I'm an Urban Meyer apologist, um, I don't think I am. He was only, Jimmy only coached 10 years in college. Urban coached yeah. 17. 
But it just felt like it was just so much. But Jimmy Johnson was like only three spots behind Urban. Jimmy Johnson's pretty close to Urban for a guy who coached only 10 years and Urban coached 17. Yeah. And Pete Carroll was at least 10 spots ahead of Urban. Pete Carroll coached nine years, nine or 10 years at USC and won one and a half national titles. Urban won three. So again, like how Pete Carroll and Pete Carroll left because Reggie USC Bush got a free and, house. Yeah. And so again, like if we're go, but they didn't explain it also. Like, well, we took, we factored in this, the lead into the thing didn't say they factored in off field things and whether you were a good person or whatever. But also again, there are people, if you want to run down the list, it's not a clean list, brother. It's not a clean sport. No, no. no. So no, like, if we're going to pretend, but, but if that's what, like, to me, that's where you almost have to go to rationalize him being 46, but then you immediately go to, well, look at the guys ahead of him. Who did other stuff too? The thing about Urban that I I I can't wrap my head around is like people who say like he's a bad person, you know, and 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 people who thought like Trestle was a bad person. Um, there are too many people who I respect who think that they're good people. That it's not just like when I look at it, it's not my determination of Jim Trestle or Urban Meyer. It's my determination that James Laurinaitis loves Jim Trestle. Well, if James Laurinaitis loves Jim Tressel, James Laurinaitis is a good guy. If he loves Jim Tressel, there's something there to love. If if um, Joshua Perry loves Urban Meyer, Joshua Perry's a good guy. Then there's something there to love. The players that mattered, the players, and even some that didn't matter, the, a lot of these players would back these guys up. And so that's not false. They're not perfect. Everybody's a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but like the determinations that sometimes people in the media make, like this guy's a bad person. It's like maybe you had a bad interaction with him. Maybe this guy cut some corners or made some mistakes. Maybe this guy was ruthless at times. He's not a bad person. He's a person who is both good and bad, who says some does some good things and some bad things. And honestly, just like in politics, if you're at the top, you're probably not perfect in how you got there. Because the guys who are perfect don't get to the top. You have to be ruthless. So if you're not ruthless, you're nothing. So I get it. The, the Division Three guy who won 614 games at a college in Minnesota where everybody majors in agricultural engineering and they play in a cornfield. I get it. That guy won 614 games and he did it the right way and he's number eight. Fine. I get it. But let's not pretend. What the? Are you kidding me? Bear Bryant's number one on that list? Do you know what kind of person Bear Bryant was? Do you know what kind of person Bear Bryant was? I in pre-integration well, South, yeah, there's, no. yeah, like there's, I mean, like so, but and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying Bear Bryant shouldn't be number one on that list. I'm saying if it feels like you're doing it to one guy, yeah, and not that's, doing again, it to others, what are right. you doing? Again, if if they had, if all those guys were lower, if Trestle, if Bryant, if all those guys were dinged for character or some nebulous character thing, whatever, I would understand it. But when only Urban Meyer is all the way down here, and those guys are still up at the top, up at the top ten, I it just doesn't. Compute. It doesn't make sense. All right. We'll take a quick break and be back with more of your tech subscriber questions here on Buckeye Talk. So happy to be joined on Buckeye Talk by a first-time guest here, but he is a big name in the world of sports journalism. It's Robert Latal. He is the founder of Black Sports Online. He now works with TMZ. If you follow this guy on Twitter, you know how much content he is cranking out on a daily basis. Robert, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you having me on. So, Robert, give us your Ohio State background so we understand why we're <laughs> why we're talking to you here on Buckeye Talk. That's pretty. It's not your traditional Ohio State uh, background story. 
of origin story. I'm actually originally from St. Louis, uh, Missouri. Uh, that's where I was born and raised, and that's actually where I spent the majority uh, of my life, you know, high school, uh, all through that. So I'm really from Missouri. Uh, the, the, how I ended up in Ohio was uh, my father uh, actually uh, lived in Ohio in a, in a suburb of uh, Columbus uh, at the time that I was thinking about going off to, to college. And I kind of wanted to get out of uh, St. Louis, but I also wanted to be close uh, to family. Um, and so, you know, we, I kind of looked at some schools uh, around the area, and I went on a visit to Ohio State, kind of fell in love with the campus, um, and that's how I ended up uh, being a Buckeye. Wow. So what, what years were you there, Robert? Uh, I was there from 1996 uh, to, to 2000. Okay, okay. So here you are now. Are you in California now? Is that right? Yes, yes. Okay. So after um, I, I graduated, um, I, I kind of shuffled around a bit. I was in Atlanta uh, for a little while. Then I went back home for a long period of time uh, in St. Louis before I decided to move the operations all out uh, to, to L.A. And um, now I'm in a, a suburb of, uh, of uh, Los Angeles called Upland, out where the mountains uh, are, are at. <laughs> Very cool. All right. So I want to get into your career a little bit, but first let's talk a little bit about the Buckeyes because I saw you tweeting about the Buckeyes and that's what, cool. what made me want to get you on the show. What's it like following Ohio State for you from out there in California? Well, the great thing about Ohio State, and you know this, is no matter where you're at, uh, there's Buckeyes everywhere. Uh, that's the one thing I really love about uh, our, our school is that um, you could pretty much be anywhere, and you're going to see someone with a Buckeye sweatshirt on, uh, someone doing the OHIO. So in California, there's a big legion of, of Ohio State fans here. Um, because they're such a national brand, it's pretty easy uh, to follow. I actually tell people that uh, they're the team that caused me the most stress because when you're a journalist, uh, you try to not have emotions. Uh, for the teams that you're covering. So I never really, especially in my adulthood, I never really had a, I'm not a fan of any type of team or like obsession or anything. So Ohio State isn't for me. So I, I tell people it's stressful uh, watching a, uh, your, your college, your alma mater, uh, going through trials and tribulations throughout the year, especially when they're good because the expectations are so high. What's it like for you? So the era that you were a student at Ohio State, that's like the end of the Cooper era there where there were some really good teams that didn't quite get over the top. Um, what's it been like for you, and what have you thought of the Buckeyes through the Trestle era and the Meyer era and now the Ryan Day era as you followed them after you graduated from Ohio State? It's interesting. I always tell people I had to graduate for Ohio State to flourish <laughs> uh, because I definitely was there during those uh, John Cooper years. And it, it, it's amazing to me. You can, you know, there's a who's who of NFL players that came from uh, those teams. And for, for none of those teams in, in that whole decade uh, of John Cooper to not get at least one national championship, I think most Buckeyes uh, would tell you that was an extreme disappointment. But on the flip side, you know, you get Jim Trestle, and, I, and he's my favorite all-time Ohio State coach. And, and that run uh, that they had for that long period of time was probably the, the best time that I had. Uh, covering them, and then, you know, you see what happens with Trestle. And the thing about Urban Meyer is that uh, I always thought that was, you know, kind of a deal with the devil. I mean, we didn't want to uh, kind of go into obscurity. We didn't want to lose our national level. Uh, we needed to make a big hire. We needed someone that could turn it around. And I think you knew what the red flags were 
with uh, Urban Meyer. But, you know, in exchange for that, you know, we had a couple of undefeated seasons, a couple of playoff appearances, and that, that magical run of national championships that I actually got to cover uh, as a reporter, which is one of the greatest things that have ever happened uh, in, in my life. Uh, and now, you know, I'm kind of glad, you know, that we have Ryan Day because it's just pure football. There's no more drama. Um, he's he's a he's Ohio guy, you know, through and through the way he's taken over the team and everybody really loves him. Uh, so it's kind of reminded me more of the Trestle uh, days here with, with Ryan Day. That's a very interesting comparison. I think you might be onto something there, Robert. Um, that's, <laughs> what, what did you what were your expectations again from out there? You care so much about the Buckeyes. Did you have high expectations for Ryan Day? Were you sort of like, I'm not sure what to think of this guy, or what did you think of of what this year might be like? No, I thought it was uh, I thought it was a perfect transition. If you look at what happened down at Oklahoma uh, with Bob Stoops left, that's what I was hoping for. You know, you get Lincoln Riley, you get kind of the younger version, the less drama version, the more creative uh, version. Um, now, you know, taking over, we got that sneak peek of Ryan Day as a head coach. I think that probably helped him tremendously uh, that he had those three games at the beginning of, of last year and then kind of being groomed uh, throughout the year. And I think he put his, you know, I, I think with Urban Meyer, with everything that was kind of going on with him, uh, I think that could have an effect uh, on the team. They're dealing with, you know, things that they really shouldn't have to deal with as young people. Uh, and without that cloud hanging over, I think they're just sort of out there and they're just playing and they have this mindset uh, that they're going to, you know, finish, you know, business and, and the things that kind of went wrong before, it's really seemed like they've corrected those. So I, I had, you know, I, I had tempered expectations because he is a new coach and everything, but I thought just with the amount of talent and what he had shown um, in the games that he was the head coach, that he was the right person for the job. When you watch these guys this year, Robert, who who are the guys you really like? Who are the players that stand out to you that you feel like, man, I, I, I love watching that guy play? Oh, uh, you know, you know something? You know who I really like? I like Alave. That's my guy. Like, you know, all of the beginning of the season, you know, the Ohio State just has these wide, well, pretty much all these position players, you know, going to the league, and they, they really do so well. But I, I really like Alave, uh, big J.K. Dobbins uh, guy, K.J. Hill, you know, he's been there. You know, that, that to me, that seeing him in that Big Ten championship game, you know, have the effect uh, and, and the really dominant play that he had made me feel really good for him because, been there all four years, seen almost pretty much everything that you can see as a college player. To see him kind of go out like that um, was really nice. Uh, I mean, they, they seem like I have a bunch of nice kids. Nobody's getting in trouble. Uh, you know, they, they have guys that just seem to love playing football, love being representing the university and everything. It's almost, uh, you know, I can't just, you know, pick, you know, just, just one. And Justin Fields comes over in the transfer and he fits. Uh, you know, right in. And, and and so this is one of my, you know, I have a few favorite teams of, of all time with Ohio State, but this is definitely the up there with those teams. What do you think, if they do this, Robert, if they, if they beat Clemson and win the national title, how do you think people would view this team? Would, how, would it, could it be one of the great, would it be one of the great Ohio State teams at all time? Would it be, up there with with among you know the best college football teams. How do you think they could view this team if they do it? Well, I think you you know first off you know that that means they're going fifteen and zero. Uh, you know they would have beat you know seven ranked teams. Uh, assume, let's assume that you know they have to beat Clemson at three, and then you know let's say LSU win and they're number one. They beat 
one and three on your way, you know, to a national championship. I think that would put them up there. And not just it's the way that they they won as well. I mean, I don't I don't believe all of their games they've won by double digits. Um, even the games that they you know were tough, you know, they still end up you know winning by more than ten points every time. I think if they were to do this, and, and you know, Clemson, a defending national champion, won what twenty plus games in a row, and LSU, which looks like a just a machine right now. If they were able to pull this off, uh, not just, like I said, I, I, I'm with you, I'm not just one of the greatest Ohio State teams of all time. I think you'd be talking, uh, they would be talking about them as one of uh, the best college football teams of all time. Robert, I think a lot of people listen listening to this podcast can maybe relate to this question. And maybe it's an obvious question, but somebody like you, who you graduate from Ohio State, you go out into the world, you're successful in your profession, you're on the other side of the country. How important is the football team in keeping you connected to your alma mater? I mean, it's all. I mean, honestly, that's that's the thing. That's the, the connection. Um, I think the one great thing about Ohio State is that when you tell someone that you went to Ohio State, graduated from Ohio State, I think it gives you a level. Um, of credibility and respect throughout the country. Uh, so the name itself uh, kind of carries with you all the time. Uh, but the football team is, I mean, when you're at Ohio State, I mean, it's that's what it is. I mean, I mean, you're, you're doing your studies and everything, but you're a Buckeye and you live and die, you know, by that football team. And that doesn't change, you know, 10 years, 20 years, you know, after after the fact. So I, it it also, honestly, it harkens me back to a time uh, a very happy time in my life where I was in college and having fun and young and, you know, not having to deal with real world problems uh, and things like that. So the, the football team and, you know, the university, uh, the connection with that is, is something that's very, very important to me. So, Robert, when you saw that bracket come up for the playoff and that Ohio State's number two instead of number one, and that means they get Clemson in the semifinal, what, what is your level of confidence? Was that where you like, oh, no. They got to face Clemson right away, or or how worried are you potentially about facing this Clemson team right away? Uh, oh, I'm worried. I'm like super worried. I, I'm a bundle <laughs> of nerves. It, it, it's it's you know something. But the more I thought about it, you know, the more I tried to look at it like this is that you know if you're in a if you're in a fight, you know, you got to go through you know the, the biggest bully to get to where you want to go. Uh, so you know maybe avoidance isn't the right you know attitude to look like. They have to take this head on. And, yes, yeah, a different team than the one, you know, a different Clemson team, a different Ohio State team from the one uh, where they got beat 31 to nothing. But that still kind of hangs, you know, over them. So if there is an opportunity uh, to kind of erase those demons, uh, I think they should do it. And, honestly, if you, if you beat Clemson, you know, the confidence that you would have going into the, the championship game would be at uh, a sky-high level. So at first I was, I was in a whole panic. I was like, oh, no, I hope it, you know, I just the head was in my hands and everything, even though I actually agreed with the committee. I can understand why they put LSU number one. Uh, but the more I thought about it, it was like, hey, you get, this is the challenge. Uh, to me, the challenge is if you want to be the champion, you got to you know, go through these things. And so uh, they're going to show us what they're made of. It's definitely going to be a game uh, everyone's going to be watching. So, Robert, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is to talk not just about you as an Ohio State grad and get your analysis of the team, but I think your career is so interesting uh, in the modern journalism world. You're you're not just a journalist, but you're an entrepreneur, right? Like, how did you mm -hmm. how did you find your way here and sort of 
I mean, you, you basically started your own thing and didn't just rely on somebody else. Can you maybe inform people about how you did that? Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting because if, if I do have one regret uh, of what happened when I was at, you know, Ohio State is that I don't think I took advantage of probably as many opportunities as I, as I could. I felt like I was talented, maybe was a little lazy, maybe just kind of going through the motions. And then, you know, you graduate and you're just kind of thrown out there in the real world. And it's like, hey, you know, you got to work. You got to, you know, people, you know, being talented is not enough. I mean, that goes with athletics and it goes pretty much with everything else. So there was a time after graduation where I was just kind of like, I'm assuming like a lot of college graduates, just kind of floating around doing odd jobs and things like that. And luckily for me, um, around that time, you know, this thing called the internet, you know, is really, you know, blowing up and everything. And, and, you know, I'm like, Hey, you know, a good, I had dabbled in some, uh, web design, uh, in college and everything. So I'm like, Hey, you know, I, I've seen a couple of websites come up talking about sports. I thought it was a, a good way for me to keep my, uh, using my degree and things of that nature. And I also felt like the space, the online media space was, didn't have enough, um, minority, uh, membership at that time. So I figured this was a way for me to kind of check all of those boxes while I look for a quote unquote real job um, in the media industry. Uh, but, you know, come to find out, you know, time, circumstances, you just never know how these things are going to turn out. Uh, the way the internet exploded, the way social media uh, exploded uh, in the early, you know, 2010s and everything. And I happened to already be in the space. Uh, the things that I was, was doing that people initially were like, hey, this is not considered real journalism, all of a sudden became the type of journalism people sought out. And I just happened to be right in the middle of all that while it was happening, and it became a career, uh, you know, to me. And, and and one of the things, once it did become a career, was that I never wanted to not use what I learned at Ohio State, so I tried to branch out and and do other things, you know, beyond the, the site and, and mix that new age media with the old school media. And I feel like that's, you know, especially now at my age, uh, the thing that if, when people remember me, you know, by, that's what they remember, that I, I took something that was new age but still had those old school uh, media principles that I learned from Ohio State. That's a great way to analyze that because I think in that space, Robert, there there have been a lot of people that that was in demand, right? There were some of the old school journalism people who were stuck in the old school, and there were maybe some of the new school people who didn't have that training and that foundation. And so when you could combine those two, I can see that's why you were able to succeed in that space because I think sometimes um, it's it was one or the other, and when you could be both at the same time, you end up you end up creating opportunity for yourself. It's funny. You and I are around the same age. You're a little younger than me. And when you were describing yourself in college, that sounded very familiar to me. But I remember <laughs> coming out, and again, this Internet stuff was happening. And I took like a class in, in college where we were goofing around on a computer, and we had to make a page that had words on it and sound and motion. And I was like, this is stupid. I'm never going to use this. And it was like a class about how to build a website, and I blew it off. <laughs> Because I had no idea, I had no idea what was coming. When you think about it, when you got in, when you did with your site with Black Sports Online and with what mm. you have been able to do since, did you know? Like, did you did you feel like you had a sense where this was all headed, just with the world, but especially with journalism and sports journalism, or were you sort of surprised at how this took uh, off? Not initially. Initially, I just wanted a place where I could 
basically get my opinion <laughs> and have some people, you know, read it. I think I was young um, during that time and, and hard-headed and, and just wanted to do things, you know, my way. Uh, I think it was probably maybe halfway into doing uh, Black Sports Online that I started to notice uh, the way things were changing in the media world. And I started to notice how people were changing how they consumed uh, their information. Um, and I started to do things to kind of help feed that consumerism uh, of that, you know, just like Walmart. I mean, it's, it's just like how Amazon came out. It's the same thing. It's just, you know, with, with sports. Uh, so I didn't know initially, but I, I did start to see it earlier, I think, than a lot of people. Uh, I started to see how social media uh, could be used to, uh, to get information out there. And one of the things that, that I noticed, and, and, you, and you probably, people don't understand it now because everybody consumes the, the information the same way. But if you go back five, six, seven, eight years ago, uh, when a story broke, you know, people, a lot of people still waited to see it on Sports Center or, or, or wait for the article uh, to come out about it. I think what myself and others realized is that we can't compete you know, with ESPN or SI or, or Yahoo Sports. But what we could do is we can get the information out faster, which would give us an opportunity to get eyes on our outlet uh, before uh, those major, uh, you know, those major outlets. And that's what we used to do. You know, we find, and still to this day, it still happens, you know, like that. You know, we get the information out. We're talking about the information. Uh, we're talking at it on a, a level uh, where people want to engage, you know, with us. So all of that, I think I saw a little early, uh, earlier before mainstream media picked up on it. And then, of course, when they picked up on it, they acted like they had figured it out themselves in, in an age-old things of how corporate America, you know, works with ideas. <laughs> that's that's always that's very true. That is very true. When you part of the interesting thing, and you seem to cover this well, is sort of the intersection between sports and, and entertainment. And there is so much crossover. Um I mean, that's such a big, broad thing, but but that to me, that's almost its own beat in a way, right? That there's everything that happens on the field with these guys, but so people people are so interested in the lives of athletes, and so often their lives intersect with famous people from music or movies or TV uh, or the internet, things like that. How how do you how have you seen that change, and and just sort of how do you go about? covering that aspect of it because you seem to be on top of that stuff yes yeah, you know, to me that was a technology issue uh because what happened was before we wouldn't know that michael jordan went out gambling because there was no smartphone to do it you would have to literally wait on paparazzi to give you grainy pictures and maybe it was in page six you know of your actual newspaper when people actually read newspapers what happened was as you know maybe you could thank apple uh, for this, <laughs> you know, when people started getting smartphones, when they started getting the laptops or, you know, no more desktops and laptops, people could stream social media. You could put up stuff immediately. Everybody kind of, I always say this now, everybody's a reporter now. If you have a phone, you're a reporter because if something happens and you start recording, you're the reporter, even if you don't want to or not. So I think technology changed. And when technology came, people were curious about what does their favorite athlete do. And the athletes themselves uh, actually contributed to this because when LeBron is, is doing Taco Tuesday at his house, that's something that you would never have seen for Kobe, you know, 10, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. So people wanted to consume 
stuff that had nothing to do with what was going on um, on the court, on the field. And once again, that was something that we picked up on early. Uh, who they're dating, you know, who they're hanging out with, what club uh, they were at. I remember one, when, when I would go and do a boxing match and I would see, look at my social media and I would notice that the, the engagement on me talking about what happened in the ring, and this was like if I was in Vegas, was a lot less than the engagement of what I talked about after the fight was over and I was at the club back when I used to do stuff like that. <laughs> so it, 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 it's at a peak now that I think it's, it's normalized, but at the beginning, I think people just realized this is something that we've never had an opportunity to know about before. And these sites like myself and TMZ and, and others, the Blast, all of these other ones, sites you know that came out, I gave them an opportunity to see a side that they knew ESPN wouldn't talk about. So that kind of became a little niche uh, that, you know, we're still taking advantage of today. All right. So, so you're, you're in such an interesting space here. And again, you're so busy. Can you just tell our listeners just like a little bit of like what your day is like, what your <laughs> life is like, you have a lot of things going on at once. You have your site, you have what you're doing with TMZ, well, I know there's no typical day, but like, uh, how do how do you manage your you know your your 16 or 17 or 18 waking hours with all the stuff you do? Yeah, so I just give you just an example of what uh, a day in the life would, would be like. You know, I get up, uh, you know, 6:30, you know, in the morning. Not that I'm out on the West Coast, I have to get up earlier because the East Coast is already going on. You know, I uh, first thing I do is you know I check my phone. Uh, see what's going on, if I got any alerts, anything happened overnight, anybody get arrested, such and such, how that would be. I will do four or five stories uh, in the morning about what I think is prevalent, put those up on BSO, hop in the car, uh, drive down to, to L.A., uh, shoot TMZ Sports. Uh, the good thing about TMZ Sports is we have a lot of crossover type of articles, so I'm already familiar with that. Uh, you know, shooting the TMZ studios for an hour or two for TMZ Sports, hop back in the car, <laughs> get back um, home, anything that I may have missed. We also have about about 15 contributors all over the, the country. Uh, so throughout that time, if I'm not available, I am telling them, hey, do this story, see what's going on here, so they can write the stories about what's going on, if there's anything I'm missing. Uh, if I have time, I record like a small uh, podcast. Uh, sometimes I do Facebook or YouTube live about breaking news. Uh, I do that throughout the day. Then at night, uh, what we do is we schedule stories for the evening time because, hey, people on the West Coast are up. They want to hear what's you know going on. We schedule posts for to, to start in the morning. And throughout that entire time, I just recently got married. So I'm trying to make sure that I actually you know have family time as well. You know, have dinner with my wife, ask her how her day's going. Uh, you know, spend some time with with her uh, as well. So it's 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 pretty much from you know six thirty a.m. I'll probably go to bed maybe midnight one a.m. Uh, get four or five hours of sleep and be, and be right back at it. And, and it's been that way you know for years that I'm used to it. But I always tell people like I wouldn't trade anything for the world. I don't have to go into an office in the sense of having to sit at the cubicle for eight hours. Uh, I'm pretty much my own boss. Um, I kind of make my own hours, make my own schedule. I go to events whenever I want to. I don't have to ask anybody. I'm credentialed with all of the major uh, leagues and, and, and UFC, boxing, NFL. I've even done Stanley Cups <laughs> with the NHL. So 
it's a dream job that I think when you do have your dream job, it doesn't seem like work to you. It just seems like, you know, you, you're living out your dream. And that is an awesome story. That is an awesome story of, of uh, being on the edge of things, you know, being on the on the recognizing um, where there's opportunity and then putting yourself in this situation, Robert. That's really cool. Um, have you how you've got you certainly recognize the uh, the innovative aspects of online uh, journalism way before I did. So congratulations to you on that. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. What to, if people want to follow you, Robert, is obviously on Twitter at BSO. Is yeah. that the best place or where else can they keep up with you? Yeah, be at, you know, on Twitter at BSO. I try to reply to as many. There was a time I was able to reply to everybody <laughs> uh, that, that, that hit me up. But I try my best now to reply to it. If, if people hit me up, uh, they can go to the site. There's contact information on that. Uh, TMZ Sports comes on uh, every night, Monday through Friday. It's on FS1. Uh, in the morning, if you're on the East Coast, it comes on at 6 a.m. Um, on the West Coast, it comes on in the uh, evening at 10 a.m., excuse me, 10 p.m., uh, so you can catch me uh, there as well. Uh, my Instagram is uh, BSOTV. Uh, the Facebook is Black Sports Online. I'm pretty, I try to be as accessible as possible because without the people, there wouldn't be any me. Robert Latal, uh Interesting stuff, man. Um, really appreciate you uh, taking time to squeeze us in here on Buckeye Talk. And uh, hopefully uh, now that uh, I know you're a, a loyal Buckeye supporter and uh, and doing things in the journalism world, we'll reach out again down the line. But, Robert, thanks so much for this. All right. Go Buck. All right. Back here on Buckeye Talk. Um, one of the things that, that people that I had asked about, people, you know, people know this podcast for uh, Weird Football Talk. Um some fast food stuff, and there was a time when we did a little more robot talk than we do lately. Um, someone sent this about robots. Is this real? This seems real. The campaign to stop killer robots is calling for all countries to join a treaty that would ban the use of killer robots in war zones. It's worth noting that we could soon find ourselves living among killer robots, as many police departments have expressed interest in utilizing robots for their work in recent years. If we don't start passing laws and signing treaties to stop these weapons from proliferating soon, we might end up trying to stop their spread after it's already too late. Are you guys in favor of stopping killer robots? Or are you pro-killer robot? Was that a text? I'm, I, I'm not it's pro. A, it's apparently it's a story. It's a story oh. on, on the Google machine, which also oh, is robot. a robot. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. And I'm not pro-killer robot, not pro. but I know we don't need more people. So if... If we can swap out some people for robots, I think we're better at the end of the day. I've seen the movie iRobot. Are you anti? Was that an anti-person? Yeah. That was both anti-robot <laughs> and anti-human simultaneously. It was. It was. It was anti. Uh, I know proliferation of people, and it was kind of lukewarm on robots. Y'all be glad like we already seen iRobot, man. I'm kind of neutral on robots. Is that the Will Smith one? Yes. Like I'm gonna be honest. Here's my problem with like society today, and this goes further than just robots. This is with anything that like they say science is trying to do. There are movies for everything that has ever been thought of in the world that tell you why you should and should not do certain things. There are plenty of movies about why robots should not do people jobs where you have to constantly interact with people. And yet, we want to take these robots and make them do jobs that people should do where you have to interact with people. No! Don't do... Siri is too far. I think Siri is like... Do you use Siri? Or do you boycott Siri? 
I don't use Siri. I don't do Siri or Alexa or any of that. Stuff. I would yell out the window at the guy on the street and say, "Hey, how do I get to Roosters?" No, no I mean, I, I, don't, use my I, don't, I don't do the "Hey Siri" thing. Yeah, I use my thumbs and I type it in. Even yeah. now, like I don't do the "Hey Siri." I double tap so it comes up and I type it in. Why would you pay a company to bring a wiretap into your house? That's and just what I'm saying. Run it I was so against like you know how you can do the finger the fingerprint to open your phone. Yeah. I hated that for a while. They have now forced me with my new phone to do the facial I do like recognition. That. I hated it because. I feel like all of this stuff is just ways for them to get documents on our information. I do feel like that if you aren't careful, the robots are going to get us. I mean, that, that, I, that I, 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 like, I, There's too I, many I, movies, go way. There's too many go, movies, man. I think you could go iRobot, but I think you could also go Weird Science, where you can build a hot, hot robot girl and for your... That's just wild. That's Does your fiance listen to this podcast? <laughs> yeah, that's no, wild, she doesn't. Man. She doesn't. I'm that's just saying. I'm just saying. I'm still on the fence. I'm willing to let this play out. Okay. I like people too much for this. Nathan is anti-robot, anti-human, pro-hot robot. <laughs> yeah. If you're a hot I robot, would, I, I, no, I'm still neutral robot. I do think that the the, the rationalization of let robots do things that humans don't want to do so humans can do things they want to do. Yeah, but after... It makes sense. But then, like... But it's a fine lazy. line. Yeah, it's a fine line because if you're really lazy, you don't want to do anything. I don't want... I mean, it's like one of the things, like, I don't want... And that's... We had a robot expert on a year and a half or two years ago. Um, we did? Yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, no, I had a, yeah, I had a professor from Ohio State who's an expert in robots. Wow, man. And the point he made, and it's funny how you think of it in your head, it's like, I was going to say, I don't want an army of robots fighting another nation's army of robots, right? Because that's too... It, it, it doesn't... It, it's too easy to have a war with no stakes, which which makes it easier to have war, right? Yeah. Except, like he said, it's not about like a robot with arms and a legs carrying a gun. It's drone warfare is robot warfare. Well, yeah, we already have that. Yeah, yeah, so I mean like... But also a lot of people would tell you that drone warfare is problematic because it's too yes, easy yes, yes. to yes. fly in the sky with a model it's airplane like a video game and blow up somebody's house. Right. And there's not a cost, and it's not that you want more loss of life, but if there is that risk, it makes you think twice about things. So the thing I do worry about us stopping thinking twice about things, because it's like, ah, the robots will do it, and we'll robot ourselves into oblivion. Let's get back to recruiting. <laughs> Can you call up the robot thing that ranks the uh, recruits? <laughs> yeah. I, I would like a robot. I would like a recruiting update and a rank of the bowl games from the eight one three. Um, the the wow. Google thing was from the six one four. Here's the thing that I want to do a little bit with the recruiting thing because I want I want to get back into it a little bit. Um, who are the guys that we are most intrigued by in this class? And this is a thing that people always are interested in, and most of the time it's just talk and it doesn't actually happen. Mm -hmm. Who are the guys that could contribute the fastest? Because clearly, a year ago, this conversation was, who could contribute the fastest? Garrett Wilson, Wilson and Zach Harrison. Harrison. Obviously, the two five-stars. Yeah. And they have contributed. I think if you pulled Garrett Wilson and Zach Harrison off this team, they'd still be 13-0. and 0. Yeah. Yes, I think that's true. So, yeah. like, and, and that's fine. And that's good. That's how you know you're a good team. Because if Zach right. Harrison and Garrett Wilson right. were at Indiana, they'd be Indiana's two best players right now. Yeah. Samson James, who decommitted from Ohio State mm -hmm. and was supposed to be their freshman running back this year, like Rand was running for 100 yards a game at the end of the year because he got on the field because they needed him on the field. So it's a good reminder. It's fun to talk about this stuff. 
But I usually say, and it's, uh, people who have listened over the years know, I didn't like Michael Jordan starting as a true freshman because at Ohio State, a true freshman should not have to start on the offensive line. He did A, because he was good, but B, because they messed up in recruiting with the guys I listed before and they needed him. So let's talk about, let's each maybe name a guy or two, or we can go through five or six guys that we really want to just talk about a little bit, and then we'll try to think about who maybe fits a need for next season. Well, one of them that jumps out at me right away, I look at where is this team going to lose a lot of talent and where could it maybe need its top-ranked prospects to come in and play right away. And one of the guys that jumps out at me right away is is Clark Phillips. I mean, they could lose all three of these corners mm-hmm. to the NFL. And I would, I don't know if that's if it's trending in that direction. I mean, we know they're going to lose two. We know they're going to lose Arnett. We know they're going to lose Akuda. And I, there's a good chance that they could lose Sean Wade. Uh, depending on, I think, maybe how how he is right now physically and how much he gets to kind of... I'll tell you, the way Randy tweets yeah, sometimes, I'm like, man, Randy, it feels like he's going the yeah. way you're tweeting right now. I know. So that that's one of the ways he's trending. So do can they get somebody from this class? Because I know they've got some other corners that have stepped up this year and played in these spots. I think they've <coughs> acquitted themselves fine, whether it's Seven Banks, Cam Brown... Amir Reed, these guys have come in and, and, and filled those spots and for the most part done well. In a couple of situations, I think they've really stood up. But if this, if someone like Phillips can come in and be a frontline guy right away, that changes the complexion a lot. And to your point, I talked to Legend Cavazos about this, who's like, he's a safety on the, in the recruiting part, but he's coming here to play cornerback and he's playing it this year in order to prepare for that. He is, from the uh, my understanding, no, not, not my understanding. He said this exactly. They are prepared to come in here and be starters if it's needed. Needed be. They are understanding. I mean, they think they are. Everybody, everybody. Yeah, says obviously. That, but like, what I, you know, what I mean is like they're understanding that there's an oper- there's a chance that they actually are going to be on the field as starters next year right. because it's going to be open season in that secondary. Maybe in a way that Zach Harrison wouldn't have thought that right. because he had. Chase um, Young came in as a top ten national recruit and was right. the fifth guy in his right. Group. But the right. different, yes. but the, the room was also you know that's again isn't yeah. depleted the way that the cornerbacks right. and the safeties are going to be depleted, which takes it also to the wide receiver room. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are the only returning guys who have played like legitimate roles. Jamison Williams might have a role next year. Jalen Gill might be the H back next year. We'll see what happens with Jalen Harris. But they're bringing in four wide receivers as well. One of them is the number one wide receiver in the country. The other one is trending in a way that by the time this recruiting class is done, Jackson Smith and Jingba, he might be a five-star guy. G. Scott Jr. is like playing like a five-star guy. And Mookie Cooper, who's not playing right now because of some transfer reasons and he was ruled ineligible, he, he's an H-back for them as well. Those guys also have an opportunity where it may be open season to get a spot on the field next year. So those two spots especially are where – Garrett Wilson got on the field because he was good enough, but if he wasn't good enough, oh well, it's it's perfectly fine. These guys might get on the field because they're good enough, but they're also going to need them to be on the field and be good enough to actually be on the field. It is. Do do you expect Julian? How different do you think Julian Fleming's freshman year will unfold compared to Garrett Wilson's year? Again, keeping in mind that Garrett Wilson yeah. came in with Mac and Olave and Victor as veteran guys ahead of him. Well, I think he may just get more snaps. So we did, I think a couple of months ago, we kind of ran through like what the potential 2020 starting lineup could look like. And we said he'd rotate with Chris Olave. I think the difference between him and Garrett is going to be Garrett got to like work himself into this. Like he got, he was in the rotation a little bit to start the season, but Austin Max, he some injuries helped in the fact that he was playing well and him and being Victor were the rotating guys. But by week 10, he was, 
you know, it was equal as far as the snaps between him and Ben Victor. I don't think Julian Fleming is going to have to be able, he's not going to be able to just ease into it. They're going to need him to be a playmaker from them from day one. And it's, I do think it just felt like sometimes with Garrett Wilson, you got the impression the way that Ryan Day talked about him, that it's not negative, but he just needed to nail down the details a little bit. Yeah. That he's more like a big play guy. Maybe he wasn't blocking great. Maybe he wasn't always running the right routes. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You certainly have talked to Julian. Uh, I've talked to his coach. I actually haven't talked to Julian. Does it not seem that Julian might be a guy who has like every... T crossed and I dotted when it comes to the details of the position. Yeah, and like some of that is their offenses. Like Garrett, obviously, like he was in Texas where like they're slinging the ball all over the place. We see that with Jackson right now while he's putting up these ridiculous numbers. Julian doesn't come from that type of offense. Like he, like he barely gets touches. But when he gets the touches, he breaks records with the touches because he has to be more efficient because he's making more with less while Garrett was going to get the ball 12 to 13 times a game. And because of that, well, Garrett got to be the new shiny thing here and make these big plays while also make some mistakes. Julian, once again, he's not going to be the new shiny thing when he gets here. It's going to be from day one. All right, dude, you need to be two or three catches and 50 yards a game. Like, that's – you got to be that. Like, you don't get them to have the games where you have one catch on four targets or you're dropping punt – you're muffing punts. You can't do that. Like, you've got to be – on the go right away. The, the, the thing I'm curious about this, too, is that Garrett Wilson was really a, a Zach Smith and a large part of Ryan Day yeah. recruit. Ryan Day went down and, and locked that down. Mm-hmm. Um, this receiver core, is Brian. this is Brian Hartline's yeah. group. This is the first class where Brian Hartline really has gone out and gotten these guys. Mm-hmm. And it feels like, I mean, again, uh, you know, I talked to Hartline about this a couple months ago. He, he could... Not that it's only his decision, but he's the front line of this. Yeah. He, the position coaches and Mark Pantone figure out where they want to put some energy. And then they go out, they see if there's interest from the kids, and then they start putting energy into certain guys. Mm-hmm. And they could have literally picked anybody. Yeah. They could have picked – it's not it's not 100% true for Ohio State at every position, every kid, no matter where they're from, all the time, right? That. Some places, like, we're not going to waste our energy there because this guy, we're never going to get him out of Texas. We're never going to get him out of Florida. But they went to G. Scott in Washington. They went to Mookie Cooper in Missouri. Missouri. They went to Jackson Smith and Jigba in Texas. And they go to Julian Fleming in Penn State's backyard. Yeah, That's Brian Hartline's four first-round picks. That's who he wanted. Mm -hmm. And he went and got them. And I think the relationship... They know exactly what they're walking into. They are intimately aware of what Brian Hartline wants and mm-hmm. expects. And it's just, it's true for everybody. But when you are sort of recruited by a different guy than you wind up playing for, it's a little hard. It was a little hard for the safeties last year when they came in and they weren't recruited by Alex Grinch. Yeah. Now Alex Grinch is here and what are we doing and whatever. I think you saw that a little bit. Alex Grinch didn't know who to play. Mm-hmm. They didn't play their best under Alex Grinch. Uh, but Alex Grinch went and reshaped Oklahoma into the number four team in the country because he's the best assistant coach in the world. <laughs> and as soon as he left, they got Jeff Halfley, and Jeff Halfley's better. Does it seem that like- I think yeah. I really think that's going to help these receivers maybe be ready to have an impact quicker. Yeah, and looking ahead to kind of the next step, I mean, do you see next year as being a potentially big? It's not like Ohio State can't hasn't gotten good Ohio, good receiver prospects in the past. I mean, obviously what Michael Thomas is doing, plenty of other guys out there who, who've done well coming as a receiver from Ohio State. But what's happening next year with it, the meeting of an influx of talent and what this offense might be next year? 
which is maybe not quite as run-reliant as they were this year. Maybe they open it up even a little bit more and let Justin Fields do some things, as you have kind of think that you, they probably yeah. will, uh, talked about in the past. I mean, that seems like you could be entering an era where they could really open up some things as far as attracting and, p- and putting themselves as one of those destination places the way, frankly, that Clemson is right now for receiver talent. Yeah, um, the question that Garrett Wilson's been asked by someone consistently since he got here about the Justin Ross situation in Clemson and how Justin was the starter and then he showed out in the national championship game and now he's probably going to be a first round pick when he's eligible next season after next season I think <coughs> do you mean Ari? yeah okay <laughs> yeah hey there um, I don't like I, I agree with Ari on the I think Garrett has that type of level to like if they're playing if they're playing in the, if they're playing in January 13th, they're playing LSU. I think LSU's gonna win the game. So there. If they're playing LSU on January 13th, I think Garrett could have a game like how he had against Michigan. I think he's talented enough to. But I think as far as having the same projection, the same kind of track record, that's Julian Fleming. Because from day one, he'll be in the rotation. Justin Ross was in the rotation. So it was coming. And then he got on that stage and it's like, Who's this kid? Well, he's been doing it. I went back and watched a lot of those games. He was doing that all year. It's just like Clemson plays in the ACC. And so you're not watching Clemson play Wake Forest. You're not doing that. So you Literally no one. You're literally not watching that. So Except you for the guy who listens to this who went to Wake Forest yes, school. You're watching I, I know that. you watched So the rest of the country didn't know. We knew Trevor Lawrence, but the rest of the country didn't realize that T. Higgins and Justin Ross were doing this. And Chris Paul and Tim Duncan. Yeah, yeah and they're watching as well. But they knew. Everybody in the ACC knew, and if you were watching clip, you knew. Well, it's going to be the same thing where I think all year long we're going to know. As the beat, as people who are with this team every day, we're going to know Julian Fleming's been doing this. But if they're playing for a national championship game and Julian Fleming has five catches for 110 yards and a touchdown, the rest of the country is going to go, who is this kid? And we know he was the number one receiver in the country, but has he been doing Yes, he's been doing this all year. It's just now the whole world is watching. All right, we'll take another quick break. We're going to drop Chase's quick little interview in here, and then we'll be back with the final round of questions here on Buckeye Talk. Joined on Buckeye Talk by one of my favorites. Ah! Maybe my favorite. Maybe my favorite listener. He's our man Chase down in Orlando, Florida. Chase, how you doing, man? I'm great, Doug. Uh, really nice day, like 82, breeze. It's Florida, so great day. Chase, are you applying to Ohio State Law School? I have already applied, Doug, and I am terrified every day when I check to see if I'm in or not. What can we do at Buckeye Talk to help get you in? You didn't even ask us for a recommendation. Well, yeah, I figured I should go to, like, my boss, uh, an advisor, uh, maybe, like, a former professor before I went to the Buckeye Talk people. But, you know what, maybe that's an oversight by me. Uh, to not immediately go to Buckeye Talk Nation for a letter of recommendation. All right, so if this doesn't – it's going to go great. I'm sure you'll get in. If you don't, let me know, and I'll see what I can do. We'll get, okay, we'll get people yeah. on the case. So, so yeah. Chase, uh, so we want to we wanna just update some, some folks. Um, you've been on before, right? You came on and, and talked when we had a fan pod uh, like last year or something? Yeah, yeah. No, it was really fun. Um and it was really cool just to interact with the other two guys that were on the pod that day. Like they re- we both reached out to each other on uh, Twitter and I kind of had a conversation with those guys. It's really cool. And it really is uh, a pretty cool community. Just like the guys that are pretty active listeners every week. You can definitely, uh, 
it's just nice to interact with people who know a lot about football. I do like the Buckeye Talk audience, and Chase also is a tech subscriber. Not that I'm just using take to, uh, Chase to promote the texts, but the tech subscriber audience is a fun group. But Chase, um, in your time listening to Buckeye Talk, um, you've dealt with some stuff. Um, if you if you would maybe not mind uh, sharing with the folks some of the things that that you've battled through as you are uh, hopefully headed on your way to here to uh, Ohio State Law School. So a, a few years ago, I was sick, um, and I kind of had to sit through a lot of treatments that were pretty lengthy uh, every week, just on my way to recovery. And during that time, I got really into podcasts, and I, I was re- I was into Ohio State, um, and I kind of just stumbled into Buckeye Talk. I think I actually found Buckeye Talk because I had been watching The Bachelor with my now girlfriend. Uh, Jamie and I remember Ari tweeting about the bachelor quite a bit at the time. Yes. And so I followed Ari and I think he posted a link to the pod and I just, uh, I guess that was the beginning of my uh, addiction to podcasts, specifically Buckeye talk. I mean, there's a litany of other podcasts, but just sitting there with those treatments every week, having something to look forward to and then watching the games and then having the post game recaps, it really made, um, treatment and just it, it all just flew by and so I reached out to you Doug personally and I've reached out to Bill uh, before as well just to thank you guys for making this thing that made my experience however awful at the time you know brighter and uh, helping me to keep going and how are you now? You're great now, right? You're rolling, Chase. I'm great. I'm great. I'm rolling. Uh, moved in with my girlfriend, doing law school applications. So in, in a way, Doug, you personally uh, have kept me going enough to get into school and uh, keep, keep going, hopefully graduate with honors here. I got to say, that definitely sounds like the kind of person that you would want to write a letter of recommendation for you for law school. But I digress. I don't want to I don't want to look at the, at yeah, the past. Yeah. I follow you on Twitter. I follow your girlfriend on Twitter. Your girlfriend is a good tweeter. She opens my eyes to some things that I wouldn't be aware of otherwise. And I don't follow like a ton. I can't follow every listener, every tech subscriber, every Ohio State fan. But there are a select group of like Ohio State people that I do follow that keep me engaged with fans. And so you are one of my lifelines um, to that, Chase. So so I appreciate that. Why? Are, and maybe we cover this on the, on the other pod, but a reminder again, why are you such an Ohio State fan? So I grew up in um, uh, East Palestine, Ohio. Like, I don't know if anyone knows about that. It's like right outside of Youngstown. It's really tiny. My grandpa I uh, was a superintendent. My mom and my dad both went to Kent State. My dad's actually still a cop uh, up in Wellsville, Ohio. So I grew up in Ohio. My mom uh, finished school and could only find a job in Florida because I don't know if you know this, Doug, but you graduate and they want you to have five years experience already. But then to get a job, you have to already have the experience. Weird. So it's kind of like a feedback loop. Yeah. Kind of like a feedback loop uh, for college grads these days. But uh, yeah, so we moved to Florida. Um, I did high school here, and I love it. I mean, I met my girlfriend, and I eventually went to UCF, Gun Knights. Uh, so I kind of have a kind of a split uh, allegiance now. But I, I didn't I didn't appreciate the UCF slam on the last pod, Doug. I got to be honest with you. 
you have put up with some UCF slander by me over the years, I will say. You have had <laughs> to take some of that, and yet we have remained, uh, we have maintained a relationship, so I appreciate that. This this means nothing because I didn't actually do it, and so I'm not like trying to make myself look cool, but I will tell you, Chase, as, as people may know, my family and I enjoy vacationing uh, in Disney World, which is right by... Orlando. Um, and last when we went to Orlando last summer, I was plotting the secret surprise visit to see Chase. Um, I was like going to rent a car and like get your address from your girlfriend and like sneak over and just like knock on your door one day. Um, and then it didn't work out and I didn't. But I but I as people say, isn't it the thought that that counts? I thought about showing up and surprising you. So. Maybe I'll do that uh, next time I'm in Disney, although you might be in, in Columbus by then. What kind of lawyer do you want to well, be? Well, right now I do family law, uh, which is basically divorces, that kind of stuff. Um, it's not that fun. I don't really enjoy it that much. Don't tell my boss I'm saying this. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I have really been considering lately like uh, tax law, uh, that kind of stuff. I actually applied for an internship uh, a few weeks ago with the Orlando Magic. Uh, in their hmm. salary cap analysis department. Wow. So How about that? That's something. Yeah. So that's something that I could potentially uh, maybe open some doors uh, after law school. You're not allowed to work in your first year of law school. A lot of people don't know this. You're physically like the American Bar Association does not allow you to work in your first year of law school. Wow. You, it sounds like you're yeah. a, co a college athlete. Yeah. Yeah, so um, if you're in need, you kind of have to take out a lot of loans. So I'm, I'm hoping – um, that if Ohio State doesn't work out, uh, Florida A&M's law school is right here in Orlando, and I'm hoping I could uh, land there. Well, be careful with those loans, Chase, because if you don't take them out the right way, you might get suspended for two games. So be careful. That's um, true. No, that's very true. Chase, what do you think about uh, the Buckeyes heading here to the semifinal against Clemson? Are you filled uh, with worry about the Mighty Tigers, or are you feeling pretty good about Ohio State? So I'm just a ball of anxiety every game. My friends all down here are all – they don't have allegiances to Ohio State or any or Michigan or any of those teams. Like I have a Notre Dame – I have a friend who's a Notre Dame fan um, and like a friend who's a Florida State fan. So they kind of see things from a perspective I don't see. And so like heading into the Michigan game, you talked about this on the podcast, a lot of stuff was intangibly at least heading towards – pointing towards Michigan. So I'm, every year I'm this ball of anxiety. I'm talking to my friends. I'm like, oh, I'm worried. Like, you know, this, maybe this is the year finally. And my friend's like, you're an idiot. Uh, he's like, have you seen how much their defensive linemen weigh? He's like, yeah. have you seen how much Ohio State's O linemen weigh? He's like, I, I think the game might have already been decided. So they, they, they keep me kind of grounded. I, I'm obviously terrified of Clemson and Dabo and uh, their wide receiver core, even though I know in my head that Ohio State has probably the best corner in the country and also maybe like the best defensive end that they've ever had at a school where they also had Nick and Joey Bosa. So like I I'm confident and like I keep telling myself coin flip, coin flip, coin flip. So uh, I I'm, I'm trying to keep positive. I follow a lot of Ohio State accounts on Twitter just to see metrics and keep people like hopefully people are positive. I'm just so scared of T. Higgins. Like I'm just, just so scared of T. Higgins. Yeah, it's um, as I tried to to write when they announced the playoff thing. I, Ohio State's good enough that you shouldn't be scared of anybody, but Clemson's really good, and it just is like you know if they if Ohio State had stayed at number one and gotten Oklahoma, obviously this would have been easier. Um, 
But, you know, what are you going to do? And I do think the one thing is you got to wipe 2016 from your mind because, like, this is not that. They're not going to get shut out by Clemson. That I can guarantee. So um, I'm always curious about this, Chase, because we have listeners to this podcast and we have tech subscribers, many of whom are from Ohio and many of whom are not from Ohio. Um, Is it more fun, less fun? What's it like when you are following Ohio State from afar? Do you kind of wish sometimes you were in Ohio surrounded by Buckeye fans, or is it kind of nice to be – kind of out on your own and planting the the Ohio State flag. I think you've talked about this before, especially I think at, right after your trip to Disney, like you see people in Ohio stuff out. And I don't know if it's an Ohio thing that people specifically wear Ohio gear out when they're in public, but it's 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 kind of nice here cuz like yeah, like you get people to say like boo or whatever when you walk by and you're in Ohio State sure, but then you'll see someone in an Ohio State hat on campus or out or at Disney or whatever. And it is a talking point. I've had so many people come up to me when I'm in an Ohio State shirt or hat or whatever, and they say, oh, like, are you an Ohio State fan? Are you from Ohio? The amount of people from Cleveland and Youngstown in, like, central and southwest Florida is bananas. Like, I don't know how that – like, it's to the point where you don't even know how there's people left in Ohio because there are just so many in Florida. Like, Ohio – Florida is a lot like Ohio in New York, like part two. Like it's just transplants from Ohio and Pennsylvania and New York in South Florida. It's like this weird amalgamation melting pot of people from up North. So it is cool to have that and like meet up with those people. Cause like if I go to Ohio and I'm visiting my dad or my grandparents or whatever, and I'm wearing an Ohio state shirt, that's whatever. Like you see that a hundred times a day, but like here it's cool. Cause you're out and then you see someone and you're like that guy and I have something in common already. I've made a lot of friends in college just that are transfers from Ohio or anything like that That are because I'm wearing a shirt or a hat. It's good to hear there are so many Ohio people in Central Florida because in about uh, 10 years, I'm going to be one of them. So uh, save me a spot <laughs> down there, Chase. Maybe uh, we can uh, you can take my house and I'll take your place. Um, well, listen, when we get <laughs> yeah. done here, I'm going to go tweet at the Ohio State Law School and tell them to uh, – let our man chase into law school. It would be good for you and good for the world. Um, so best of luck with that. Uh, keep us posted. Um, glad you are uh, rolling along. Thanks for listening. And uh, it'll be it'll be all right. I think this is going to be a tough one. Like I'm at coin flip right now for Clemson, Ohio State. So I don't think there's a single Ohio State fan that's taken anything for granted. But I, I certainly am like not at a spot where I think there's an 80% chance Clemson's going to win or anything. I think it's a coin flip, and Ohio State's got to play well. Is that crazy, or, or or does that sound crazy to you? Does that really sound about right? Well, I've talked to myself up to coin flip. Like, I started, and it was probably more like 65-35 Clemson, 60-40 Clemson, but, like, I, that's just the pessimist in me constantly about anything that has to do with Ohio State. I mean, I'm a Browns, Indians, Cavs fan, so, like, Ohio State is like this bright shining light in my life, but like it's hard to keep the negativity from my other fandoms from creeping in to my Ohio State fandom. Because when you're a Browns fan, it's like, oh, well, you know, whatever can go wrong is definitely 100% going to go wrong. So it's hard to keep that away from Ohio State when Ohio State really is like this bulletproof thing most of the time. So it's hard when you watch them play Michigan and J.K. Dobbins dribbles the football to himself. And then you'll go on Sunday and you'll watch the Browns and, you know, uh, a ball, a tipped ball will fly 20 yards to a defender somehow. It's kind of just like this opposite thing in my life where it's like I'm so happy on Saturdays and then Sundays, like, oh, here we go again. 
Uh, yes, I think uh, there are many, many people listening this who can uh, to this who can also relate to that. Um, well, Chase, you are the bright shining light in our podcast. So uh, thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for the time. Thanks for your loyalty. Um, and uh, and we'll be in touch down the line. But, yeah, keep us posted on law school and best of luck. We'll all be uh, crossing our fingers and, and rooting for the right result there. Yeah, thanks so much, Doug. I really appreciate it. Thanks again. All right. Back on Buckeye Talk. Um, Look for a story Thursday morning. I talked to Matthew Della of the Cavaliers about Joe Burrow because in 2016 I talked to Joe Burrow about Matthew Della and now I return the favor um, and I showed Matthew Della the 45-second video clip that I had of Joe Burrow talking about why he loves Matthew Della Vadova so much. And I made him watch it. I said, before we start, I want you to watch this. And he watched it and we got done. He said, yeah, I've seen that. And I was like, oh. <laughs> he was like, yeah, someone showed it to me like two years ago. I was like, so it's good to know that people, uh, you know, the Cleveland.com thing, get it out in the world. And someone was like, hey, this backup quarterback at Ohio State, like, thinks you're cool. And he was like, what? What is this? Uh, is that? <laughs> that was Australian. What was that? Is that Australian? Uh, almost. No, hey, that was, shrimp on I'm barber. Honest, at first, it was more like Jerry, to be honest with <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. That was the kind oh, of Australian that, was the kind of Australian that someone who eats at Outback once a week. Yeah. <laughs> I love Outback. Outback is actually pretty What solid. is better? Here, because I want to get into this. No fast food. This is from the 813. I mentioned a few times that unless you live in your mom's basement or still on campus, you can't benefit from your culinary input on your podcast. Unless you guys decide to start actually going to a worthwhile food spot, which there are a lot to mention, your culinary ticket. Culinary? Culinary? Culinary. Culinary ticket is pulled. What do you want from us? I don't even live in Columbus, but I know to hit a local spot or one of Cameron Mitchell's restaurants, if you mention McDonald's, Popeye's, or Raising Cane's, that has a drive-through, don't mention it. I think that is incorrect because we are of the people, for the people, by the people. It can it's be both. It's in the Constitution. It can be both. That we should talk about fast food. Everybody relates to fast food. Not yeah. everybody relates to seventy dollars dinners. Like I was the one who was just going on a rant about how you're less of a person because you only go to chain restaurants, and I stand by that. But I would also say that as someone who is kind of, I wouldn't even say I'm a food snob, but I do like to go out to the, you know, the the, the mom and pop places, the local places, as much as I like all those things, I eat fast food all the time. People have seen our videos. They can tell I eat fast food all the time. Very, but, like, I mean, but like, if you actually want actual food takes, listen to a food podcast. Well, there's that too. I mean, yeah, to be fair, like, this is a, a we're sports writers, dude. Like, we, we, we literally have an office in the back corner of a McDonald's where we do a lot of our work. We have a meeting on every Tuesday at 10.30 in a McDonald's. Yeah. And I like McGriddles. There's syrup in the bun. I don't eat I, a McDonald's. I've never had like, a McGriddle. You've never had a McGriddle? I have never had a McGriddle, but I will have one soon because on our drive back from Indianapolis on Sunday, I could smell your McGriddle from the back seat, yeah. and I was like, i got to get me one of the McGriddles. There's syrup. I mean, it is that is an engineering feat. If a robot did that, then I'm pro-robot. They put the syrup, they inject it right into the bun. It's a pancake as a bun with syrup inside of it. I don't eat McDonald's, so. Do you eat McDonald's because my kids don't eat McDonald's because they don't like it? Do you think it doesn't taste good? Are you just like not kind of like ah, I'm not my it doesn't do good things to my body? It's just not good. Greasy? Ooh, yeah, it's too greasy. Good fries. Have you ever listened to the Malcolm Gladwell yes, podcast the, oh, about the fries? Yes, that was a fascinating episode about the fries. Um, fries used to be better than they are. Yeah, because they fried them in uh, beef tallow. Yeah, and then they messed it up. 
See, that's real food analysis. This is just a bunch of sports writers. Um, How effectively can Ohio State's from the 614, can Ohio State's wide receiver recruiting be used against them in running back recruiting? Quote, with all these receivers, how many carries do you think Ohio State's starting running back will get? Because beyond 2020, the 2021 running back class doesn't seem to have many top-level guys, and Ohio State isn't in on any of them. I I have said this before. I mean, J.K. Dobbins is coexisting with this. And the issue, and Landis told me he wanted to jump through the podcast a couple months ago when I talked about this. They didn't run the ball as effectively last year, but they still ran it a good amount. I think you brought that up. The fact that but, they but, still but, had but it. I thought they, I think I said that they ran it well, and he was like, oh my God, no, they didn't run it well. Like their yards per carry was way down. JK averaged four and a half instead of seven and a half. But they still had the commitment to it. Right. I certainly don't. Don't you believe there's room for a good running back and good receivers here? J.K. Dobbins is going to this year, without having played in the fourth quarter, if not second half, of like five games, he's still going to run for 2,000 yards this year, or darn near, depending on what happens in this semifinal game. 20-some touchdowns. He's gonna. He, he was somewhere probably in the middle of that Heisman, you know, but, right but, outside but the part finals. Part of that is the receivers this year aren't as good as they're going to be. Well, m- maybe. Do you maybe. think if the receivers this year were better? And that's not a shot at Austin Mack and Ben Victor. I don't think they're great. I think Chris Olave's good. I think KJ Hill is really solid. They don't have an all-American receiver. But I guess what I'm saying is like they they can still they've shown that they can produce running back production in this offense. In a Ryan Day offense. I mean, they've done any on top of that you got Master T running for another 700 and some yards. I mean, they 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 clearly did that on the ground. Now, I understand what you're saying that will people use it against them if they're bringing in all this talent but they had all this talent last year also when ryan day was the offensive coordinator and they had it the reason they threw the ball more was because of who they had a quarterback and and what the rest of that team was not so much that they had some aversion to running the ball so here's the point i'm going to make jk dobbins carried the ball 230 times last year and he was splitting carries with mike with mike weber the entire year he's at 283 so far this year and like, yeah, they say he sat some games, but they've also force fed him the ball in the first half because they knew he was going to be sitting in some of these games. But that's been even a more recent thing, I would say. Correct. But still, he's at 283 carries. He's this fourth in the nation in he's carries. Fourth in the nation in carries. Last year, he had 230 carries and he was splitting them. I don't think they're going to do that again. The whole splitting two backs again on top of the fact that Dwayne Haskins is throwing the ball 40 times again. Well, I think that will do it if they think they have two good backs. Yeah, I think that will depend on the roster at the time. And I think if they're going to have, I think that's going to hurt their recruiting though. I don't know if they're going to get like two, like, like if they're trying to get a five star running back, I think that running back wants all the carries. I don't think it wants to be splitting it with another five-star running back. But, I mean, this is the hard thing about discussions like this, and, and it's a balance for everybody. You can't, dev- des- you can't devise your current game plan to win the game Saturday based around what a recruit's going to think about it. No. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have, if you think, and, and, and here's the thing, and we can talk about this because we'll bring the, the theoretical into the real world thing. Let's assume Dobbins is gone. I'm not expecting Master Teague to be the workhorse 20 carry a game back next year. I think it will be Teague, I think it's be some Marcus Crowley, yeah. maybe. Uh, now I don't, I don't think there's room. I mean, we can talk about a lot of stuff. Mayan Williams is going to be in here. Steel Chambers. They're not going to have four guys. They're not going to say, well, every fourth series you're right. in. But I, as good as Master Teague has been. I don't know that he's the automatic number one guy next year. I don't think he's as good as J.K. Dobbins, and that is not a slam on Master T. No. But if he's not as good as J.K. Dobbins, 
then they th- then don't they have and my, they th- Marcus Crowley's pretty good. I think they throw it. I think. Oh, they're definitely gonna throw it. I but- think. Ryan, I think we all thought Ryan Day was going to air it out. That's the type of quarterback he was going to. I mean, type of coach he was going to be. Because I didn't we, think that. I think, yeah, we, I think we like. I think we all thought that because of what Dwayne Haskins, we were going to see some example, some like. I thought version J.K. Dobbins was going to run for two thousand yards this year. I didn't think that. That's true. He did. We made yeah, that's fun true. Of him. Okay, fine. The majority of people thought that what we saw last year is the type of offense Ryan Day was going to run, but also with J.K. Dobbins not having to split carries. But he adapted to what his personnel is. If his personnel next year is Master Teague is his best running back, I, I'm, I am sticking to the point. Justin Fields might throw the ball 40 times a game. I know, but, but in that, I mean, as you said, Dobbins still had 230 carries yeah. in a share last year. Mm-hmm. I, it, I, I don't, I'm confused. So like, as it relates to recruiting. Does Justin get more of those though? I mean, maybe that's like. I mean, Justin has run it a little less than year than I, this year than I yeah. expected. How I, much of like what Jalen Hurts is like? I don't think fra- Justin. I don't not think to Justin that, no, not to, the, not, yeah, yeah, not to that extreme. But what fraction of that is like an ideal situation that we see with Justin Fields next well, year? Well, but I also think we're taking we're trying to take what's happened this year and apply it to each successive year or what we think is coming in as a recruiting class and apply it. And I, I, I guess that's part of what we do. But if we'd done that last year and applied it to this year, we would have been 180 degrees wrong, as you're just saying. So I really think it's going to depend on more of the roster year to year. I think there's going to be years where they're going to have down the line another back like J.K. Dobbins, who is an all-purpose, all-around back. He can play all four downs if you need him to. I don't know that that's true of the other guys that they have on this roster right now, and they may take those guys – two of those guys, three of those guys, and make them one back in the way that they use them. So I guess my question is, as it relates to recruiting, and and, and then we'll get to a couple more questions before we get out of here, um, why didn't they land on a better back this year? Like, I am surprised that it worked out this way. And it's not a shot at anybody, but nobody's plan is to flip the Iowa State recruit a month before signing day. Yeah. That is not anybody's plan. I'm sorry. That is not what they, when they put up their board... And we're talking about this recruiting class early on. That is not what they would have drawn up for themselves. And I'm only holding them to the own standard they hold themselves to. Because they have Paris Johnson. And they have Julian Fleming. Mm -hmm. And they have Clark Phillips. And they have Luke Whippler. And they have outstanding frickin' dudes. And they wound up at running back getting somebody that they had to flip away from the fifth best team in the Big 12. And I don't know why. So I guess my question is this. Sometimes your recruiting just gets a little haywire. I think maybe they reached a little, they, they shot for the moon with Bijan and the Nolt, what's his name? Jalen what? Jalen Knighton. Jalen Knighton. And, and they uh, missed on both. They were in on Kendall and, Milton early yeah. on. They didn't get him. He's going to Georgia. He was certainly open. He's a California kid who was open to coming this way. Yeah. They shot for the moon and didn't get anybody. So does that, did they not get those guys? Because there's something about the offense, like this theory, hey, this is a throwing offense, the running back's not going to get his carries, or did they just miss because you miss sometimes? Because nobody's perfect in recruiting, and that down the line, they absolutely will should be able and will be able to get a five-star back into this offense. I think it's a combination of both. I think, so. I this is just like, I, I think some of these running backs saw what happened in 2018 and saw the lack of success running the ball. And like attributed some of that to like Dwayne Haskins wasn't a great runner, so he wasn't a threat, so you couldn't run the read option stuff. You had to do a lot more RPO stuff than they've had to do this year. But I think the lack of success running the football combined with they just missed is like I think the key like element of why they don't have a 
four or five star running back in this class. I, I, I tend to lean more towards it. It's just one of those things that happens in recruiting sometimes. And I'm probably not surprised anyone to find out that I'm not a huge fan of the term miss when it comes to talking about recruiting because each of these decisions is an individual decision that this person is making. So, you know, when, when you go to buy a car and you buy a Ford instead of Toyota, I don't know that Toyota missed. You just decided you liked the Ford better and they were One time my same. parents bought, I we had an old station wagon and they dropped me off at my Little League game and when for batting practice. And by the time they came back to watch the game, they had a new van. They had bought a new car in 30 minutes. And it was a silver Toyota that didn't have a front and it was made of like tin foil. Like you sat like on the engine. There wasn't like how the motor's in the front of a van. It, like, if you go Google it, Google, like, Toyota vans of the 80s. It was silver with a maroon stripe. You sat on it. the I engine. Have, I have that bookmark. It had actually. no <laughs> center of gravity. If you got, like, we're on a highway where it was windy, it felt like you were going to blow off the roll off the road. And one time my dad was driving to work, and he hit an ice patch, and he spun into a ditch. So that Toyota was a miss. Right. Continue. <laughs> Did you just <laughs> compare a high school kid no, he said, he said it's just he compared it to a car and was making the point that you know, if you buy a Toyota or Ford, you might not miss. But that it, was a miss. So, you didn't know it was a miss until you so got can, it and tried you, it for a while. So you're calling like the recruit the the what's the ditch? Is the ditch like the recruit you missed or Yeah, like? no, that's the transfer portal. My dad <laughs> spun on the ice and flew into the transfer portal. I'm just saying that it's it's not it's not like you it's not like you have this capital that you're using to buy these commodities it's a much more nuanced situation than that so i think there's just once in a while like you said you shoot you miss you you do have you are supposed to have a contingency plan and maybe in certain years your contingency plan looks up front less attractive than other contingency plans yeah but But you've got you've also it just means they're gonna have to rely on the people that they have in their already in their program a little bit more and if you're developing talent that should help Fill that gap. Yeah, but these kids aren't idiots, though. Like, Kendall Milton, Woodsmore, that's, like, had NFL-level running backs year after year after year in Georgia. Well, that's, yeah, that's, so my, it's like, that's my point, yeah. Okay. I was gonna, yeah, because it's, like, that's why I say it's a combination of they did dismiss, but also they, they saw the lack of success running last year. Well, I don't know that, I, I think it, but I don't, is it a lack of success by Ohio State or more that they saw a place that was turning out NFL running backs? I don't know that those two things are attached. I think you may just look the same way somebody could be recruited by Ohio State. If you're a defensive end, you're being recruited by Ohio State, and um, and you're from Texas, you're being recruited by Texas, and you decide, I think I'm an NFL defensive end. Everyone's telling me I'm going to be an NFL defensive end. So as much as I really like Texas and like them a lot, and it would be a fine place I could go have a good career, I'm going to go hang out with Larry Johnson for three years and go make a billion dollars. Right, but defensive ends in Texas also don't have the success that Ohio State's defensive ends have. That's the you, that's exactly what I just said. Right, and that's like why I say it's both. So he's saying, but you're saying Ohio State can lure defensive ends like that because yeah. they have a track record, and maybe it runs back. Think, they're not there. Maybe not there, but I also think that this year, okay, so 2020 didn't go the way that they wanted, but now how are they going out and pitching running backs for 2021, 2022? And you look at what J.K. Dobbins did this year. I think that's going to be a selling point. That's my forward. point. Like last year, there wasn't. They couldn't go look at what J.K. Dobbins did this year. But I will say, so in 2018, Ohio State ranked 76 in the country in rushing average at 4.21. Now, that includes quarterback and stuff. So, yeah. But 76, 4.21. This season, they are sixth at 5.67. So um, I, I do I, – I've had this conversation with somebody around Ohio State. Again, 
I, I just think if Dobbins and Weber, and I know Landis is jumping through the roof, the thing, that, again, the production level, like the individual per carry, it wasn't as effective. They didn't look as good running it. They didn't lean on it as much. But if Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins was one guy, he would have run for like 1,800 yards. It's right. just they happened to split it. And I think, I thought you still should have been able to sell. Listen, we had two good running backs, so we played both. But we are committed to the run. We give the ball to our backs. Because I think what guys care most about the most is carries. And yeah, if you get a reputation, right. uh, like if Ohio State had a reputation somehow in recruiting of a spread offense that's recruiting receivers, has big-time quarterbacks, and is going to chuck it all over the place, then they should have been able, like maybe other people are telling recruits that, Ohio State should have been able to fight against it better. If that hurt them for this class, right, mm-hmm. then I think they didn't do a good job selling themselves. Because I think they should have had enough evidence to be able to fight that, that that is not what Ryan Day is about. You are going to get the ball here. And that's why I think you can't expect them to hit it out of the park at every position every year. What happened at running back this year was not great. Yeah, I, I, two points, and, and one just goes to what you were just saying, which is I think there's also players aren't stupid, and I think you could, as you're recruiting guys for this class at running back, you could have said, hey, if they had questions about how you used running backs, you could have said, well, I don't know if you noticed, but we had Dwayne Haskins. He was a Heisman finalist. He was a first-round pick. We had all this talent that's guys that are now catching balls in the NFL. Like, we did with our offense what we need to do with our offense that year to win, and look at what we're doing now. So I think you're right. I think that... I think we're discounting that, that we think that, that players wouldn't have noticed that if that was pointed out to them. I think you could explain. I think they would get the logic. The other thing is, though, that, again, when we're talking about hits and misses, it, I, it's not like they just present a fact sheet and then players go and look it over in a corner and then come back and decide to commit somewhere. The, the relationships that are built are a lot of times the most important thing. It's not just that you're you're giving them a resume and you're showing them stats. And if So if there were... If there were shortcomings in this class, maybe that's where they well, were but, more than but anything else. Tony Alford went down to Texas and developed a relationship. <laughs> yeah. Well, JK, so did other coaches, though. With I mean, J.K. Dobbins and his mom. Right. And pulled that number 46 ranked recruit mm-hmm. right. in the country out of Texas. And you so, got that one, and this year they did that didn't happen. Like like you were saying. I mean, you were the one who posited no, no, it. No, I know. I mean, the idea of, like, you can't hold the standard. The, the standard can't be... You have to kill it every year at every But position. how many, like, high-level running backs did they go after that year? I don't know if I think they might have like zeroed it on J.K. Okay, I think so, so to your point a, of they oh he overextended himself. I think when, there may have been a strategic error in how they right. went about it. That's two guys who are like close in rankings. Like I'm pretty sure one's like third and one's fourth. And I really think running back rankings. I think they really thought they had a really good shot with Bijan, um, and I think that's why they think they. I mean, it's it's in a week, you know, unless they unless they somehow Bijan waits until February. Um, that man's not waiting until February. But, well, I mean, it's one of those things. If you, I mean, if you wait till February, I mean, he's already a star. You really become a star. And if there's yeah. flux at Texas, and there is flux at Texas, I'm curious, and I think it matters. Stan Drayton, the running backs coach, used. To, it's funny. The two guys, the, all the people recruiting Bijan Robinson. It's Tim Beck yeah. and Stan Drayton, two former Ohio State assistants, and Tom Herman, the head coach, a former Ohio State assistant. Tim Beck's been demoted from offensive coordinator to just a position coach. They're keeping that kind of open. I think he's the lead guy on Bijan. It almost reads to me like they're keeping Tim Beck around until they get Bijan, and then we'll see what happens. I think he could – this is not information at all. But if you were that kid and you weren't 100% sure, anyone will take you when you're ready. 
you're not going to be squeezed out right. of a spot. Right. Ohio State will clear a spot for you if you want to sign in February. Texas will hold a spot for you if you so want to it, sign in February. So it comes down to, like, does he want to be in the program in the spring? I don't know. Well, if but you he's can sign in February and, and show up. You can. You can show up at Ohio State. They do. Uh, they have a because the semester starts can, in January. Can't you show up in? I guess you have to yeah. show up in January. It may be different for grad transfers too. I've seen situations where grad transfers. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah that's people now. who are already like there the, in college. Right. Though it's it's a little different when no, you're, right. you're coming you're right. out of high you're school. Northwestern was on because they're not just going to let him like graduate early and no, just sit right. around. Right. No, I mean well, he would definitely thing. have already had to graduate high school too. Right. Like, he would. Yeah. He would have graduated early. But I don't know what his plan is. I don't know. I don't. If he's yeah. Like, like, but even like, I, I just, if he's planning on like graduating early, I don't know a program that's going to let him just sit around the house for six months until he can show up on campus. No, no, no. Right. That's true. I don't know. Maybe we can look that up. I don't know if Bijan has said if he plans to graduate early yeah. or not. This is not great Bijan information. It's Bijan speculation. I, I, they missed a little bit. And it's okay to hold them to a high standard. They should have gotten a better running back in this class. Maybe Mayan Williams will be an All-American in two years. Who knows? Um, but the issue partly is that they didn't land a huge running back last year either. And I know Master Teague didn't hit the recruiting circuit. A lot of people thought he was better than his ranking mm-hmm. indicated. But... It's not like they had five-star backs. They haven't gotten a top 50 running back since J.K. So that's part of the issue with me, too, is that, you know, again, well, if Larry Johnson didn't get a guy or if they don't get a couple receivers for a couple years, I get it. This is the third year in a row where they're not getting a top 100 national running back, and it makes you say, like, kind of what's the deal here? Because when they do get those guys, you know who's a top 100 national running back? J.K. Dobbins, Ezekiel Elliott. Like, we can pretend it doesn't matter. It super-duper matters. And if their running game isn't quite as good in the next year or two, we'll have exactly where to point to why. Here's Mm -hmm. why. Because you didn't get it done in recruiting. Now, maybe it will be just as good. And the other thing that confuses the issue and all this stuff is maybe they'll just go get the backup running back at USC who throws himself into the transfer portal and is ticked off and shows up on campus and takes the job. Yeah, I think the transfer portal has kind of like changed how you have to look at recruiting. However, if you rely on it, you're going to be dead. No, yeah, you can't expect to get Justin Fields every single time. But But you can go, like, you can, I think a Jonah Jackson isn't too crazy to get, though. Where it, what is Ohio State's flexibility right now in terms of the transfer portal? Because with 25 guys coming in, they're retaining Jonathan they Cooper, about, potentially retaining C.J. Sarnes. C.J. Sarnes, he just applied for a six-year. Yeah. I mean, they're two or three over at the moment. Um, they're going to have to – Jake Seibert is going to gray shirt. He's yeah. in the class as one of the 25, but he's not going to be on scholarship right. uh, in the fall. Which is pretty typical for kickers. If Yeah. So that they're, they're about two over right now, but – Again, like stuff happens. There's going to be attrition, right? So, um, but I'm just saying, like, you, the more you, you, everybody you add is another one that has to go out the door at this point. Yeah, and it's one of those things. I mean, I, the the uh, transfer portal can be your band aid. It can't be your health care plan. You know, yeah, the transfer portal right. is like not having health care and showing up at the emergency room every time you cut your finger off. You know, nailing, you know, sawing something in the garage. It's like you can't just. Well, I guess if you sawed your finger off, you'd go to the emergency room no matter what. Right. You can't not have health care no. and go to the emergency room for strep throat because you've got to have health care. And so, and everybody should have health care. Every time you and, saw your and finger And so, off. like, you, you, like, if you say, well, it's okay. We, we didn't get a running back. We'll get one of the transfer portal. It's like, will you? Right. You might be waiting in there for 16 hours because the emergency room gets full. 
Everybody should have health care. Well, is that the, so wrong? The, Does the, everyone, the, everyone should have health care. The better analogy it's is... human I right. I don't want to get political. The better analogy is you may not get seen by the doctor that day because the line's too long. So you might not get seen you, by the kids sitting you in may the just, transfer yeah, portal. The, so you may not end up with somebody out of the transfer portal. You might just... Who asked that one? They asked, what's it like being in that portal? That was a bad analogy. Is yeah, it, yeah. Is it scary? Sparkly in there? Do you think there's a chance Chris Olave is a third or even fourth best receiver on the team next year? With uh, two five stars and two high four star freshmen coming in, talented and Garrett Wilson possibly passing him up from the three one seven. Talented, yes, bet, but like just best, no, just because he's got ex- he's a third year guy with experience. But like if we're just talking raw talent, probably. Yeah, I it's think his, his veteran situation is going to help him a lot. Yeah. These guys are going to probably, as talented as they might be from day one, there are there is an adjustment period that you have to get through. And I think the connection that he and Fields have is there and it's legitimate and we've seen it at multiple times this year and I think they'll be able to do some really interesting things with him next year especially depending on how much they roll guys next year there were still times this year late in the season where you know Austin Max getting a lot of reps ahead of Chris Olave and I kind of was like why because they roll yeah so I mean it could if, if his reps jump next year if his snaps jump next year his production's going to jump too Is they, he's already really productive I don't think they're going to move away from rolling actually Olave actually played more than I th- they rolled him a little less as the season went on. But also, well, but Mac also got yeah, hurt. Yeah, Mac got right. hurt. Um, since you've been here, Doug, I want to ask, is a better comparison for what he could be next year is a better version of Johnny Dixon, where, like, he wasn't the most talented guy, but he was reliable, or Devin Smith, where, like, he... I don't... I, I think Chris Olave is remarkably talented. But I, I'm, I'm just in comparison to what else is in the room with him. That's all I'm saying. Like, I mean, I think Chris Olave might be one of those guys where the stars were off. I don't know. That guy can jump. Yeah, that guy yeah. has body control. He that can guy track can a ball. Well, that's, that's the other reason why I think he's got a, a big role next year is because really even the guys that they're bringing in, <coughs> there's nobody in this group that's like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, You've got to have somebody who is has some height. And Chris Olave doesn't have height, but he, he conjures height by the way that he plays, especially in the red zone going up for balls and things like that. I think that's going to be important. It is a bunch of 6'1". There's like, a lot of 6'1". I, I don't six, know. Three, he, six, he's got might be taller than 6'2", but like... Yeah, for the most part, it's a lot of six one, six two guys. I like getting excited about freshmen as much as the next guy. This is one of those things. I guarantee Chris Olave leads the team in receptions. Oh yeah, one, like, like KJ like, Hill is leading the team like, in receptions like this year. It is yeah. not Chris Olave is leading in yardage. KJ, I mean He's Chris Olave will be their leading receiver. Like no doubt about yeah. it. You, even at receiver, most I mean it I takes can see Wilson a little time. I can see Wilson. I think interceptions. I think Wilson will do. I think it's going to be like how Chris Olave leads in yards this year, but KJ leads in receptions. I think Wilson will be the leader in yards just because like he's a lot of his big plays have been down the field, while Chris Olave is their leader in receptions. It kind of depends also how they end up using that H back spot. Do they split that between two people next year, or is there just one guy who kind of takes that H box H back spot and runs with it and doesn't get? I don't. Um, doesn't get yeah, turned like the same that, way the other spots. That's going to be a very interesting that's the biggest question. development yeah. uh, because Jalen Gill and Mookie Cooper are the two obvious guys there, but could they turn somebody into that like slot? They did with, I th- like KJ, I mean, there was a time when I thought they might move KJ outside, but like Paris and KJ were both pretty slotty from the beginning. 
Um, they moved I'm Austin very in this curious. year. And, but they only, I mean, they, they moved Austin in, and it was kind of like, ooh, they're moving Austin in. And then they really yeah, did. Yeah, but that's also, moved back out. that's also because of the guy who was playing H, you're not taking that off the field. So that was the thing. They didn't have a backup H back this year. They rotated the other two spots. So they basically had five starting receivers this year, when in the past they've had six because they've had two at each position. Jamison Williams. I'm very curious if Jamison Williams or one of these freshmen beyond Mookie or something, because I think when you look at, if you look at, Wilson, Jamison Williams, Olave, Scott, and Smith Najigba. That's five guys on the outside that you would think at the moment. And then you'd think Cooper and Gill in the slot. But if you lined up those seven guys right now, just sort of like with a guess in your head of like, who's going to be the best receiver next year? It might lead me to think, man, I might want to think about can one of these five supposed outside guys play the slot. So to that point, you guys should go to Cleveland.com and read a story I wrote. Called, it's literally called Why Jamison Williams Can Be Ohio State Football Did you ask him pair. if he can be Paris? Yeah. I asked him about his speed. But did you ask him about the slot? I mean, like, directly. And it's not about speed. It's about how they use you and where you line up. I mean, there's one thing they to use... be fast, but they didn't throw Paris Campbell the ball down the field. No, they didn't, but they used him in a way that, like, it – you know, it highlighted his speed. Like he had a lot of those out like, of the sh- slot, out of the slot. Those so you think, Jam- but did Jamison say he could move to the slot? He didn't say that directly, just because that's the issue. It's yeah. not about it's not about how fast you are. It's about what position you play and the type of routes they throw you in the offense. And so they have a from, lot of fast guys. From the way he talked, they're gonna they can use that speed, utilize that speed in how they use. I mean, him that would receiver. be like. Super interesting. Yeah. Like, if we get here in the spring and Jamison Williams is lining up in the slot, like, like antenna are up because they're trying to problem solve. And it's not a – Jalen Gill might – Jalen Gill's a top 30 national recruit. He might be great. Mookie Cooper, I've been dying for Mookie Cooper. He's our Rondale. Mookie's our Rondale. I'm super excited for that dude. But, man, Jamison Williams is a guy that you might want to try to get on the field. And that's a good – like, whenever we get Brian Hartline, I think that's a great question for him. Yeah. No, because- it's – because cause it's easy. I mean, good coaches, and it's not even a problem. It's like solution solved. Yeah. We have too many good players. How do we get them all on the field? It's the same thing about moving linebackers around or moving safeties to corner or corners to safety. You're lining up by Baron Browning as a rush end sometimes. Get your best guys on the field. Last question that we'll get to. We're starting this for the tech subscribers. I'm finally going to start it this week for real. We're going to do extra Hey Dugs that only tech subscribers get. So if you hadn't signed up for the tech, sign up now. You're going to start getting more bonus content until this season is over. I'm going to text the subscribers and say, go to this link to read these Hey Dugs. And the Hey Dugs are going to be questions for the podcast that we didn't get to. So you guys who are sending in uh, questions in the tech subscription, we appreciate it. From the 513, talk about the number three basketball team a little bit. <laughs> okay, so um, they might be number one by Monday because Louisville lost last night. So... I've been and thinking, Maryland lost. And Maryland lost as well. But Maryland didn't, like, that. I'm not surprised by that. They really haven't had the best schedule in the world. So if they played anybody good, they might lose. Right now, Ohio State's, like, schedule has kind of worked out the same way that, like, the football team schedule has been. Where, like, there are some teams in their non-conference schedule that we thought would be better than they are. And there are some teams in Ohio State football schedule where, like, people thought they were going to be better than they are. And Ohio State wiped the floor with them. North Carolina is a one-man show. Villanova, their offense is just not clicking right now. Uh, in prime, Nebraska, people thought they would be a top 15 team this year, and they just have not been that. Michigan State kind of fell off the map after a little bit of time. And so Ohio State's football, their, their, the end of their, their schedule was where all the hard games were. 
Well, the end of their schedule, the, the equivalent of that for the basketball team is the conference schedule. And right now, Michigan State's like falling in the rankings, but they've also played probably one of the toughest schedules in the, in the entire college basketball. So like, that's to be expected. But this team can guard, man. And Caleb Wesson is, is, they utilize him in so many different ways where like he had 28 and 10 against Penn State, but he's also had games where he's had like 12 points, seven rebounds and like four assists. So they can like him losing all that weight has really helped the ways that they can use him. Kyle Young has been very, very efficient. CJ Walker has been a drop in from the heavens of above as far as an improvement in point guard play. And CJ and then DJ Carden wasn't that great against North Carolina, but he's been fantastic this season. But Dwayne Washington's improvement in shooting a three-point shot has been – like, they couldn't shoot last year. And right now, he's been their shooter, and he's knocking down shots at a ridiculous rate. We talked a lot about with the Ohio State football team this season, and one of their greatest strengths is a lack of flaws. What's the glaring flaw for this team, or is there no glaring flaw? It's hard right now. It's, it's, it's hard to tell right now because nobody shot the ball well against them. So they haven't necessarily had to play in a game. And I know that's not like a real flaw, but when everybody's shooting less than 40% against you, your, your offense kind of flows freely. So I want to see what happens the first time somebody shoots a, a decent percentage and they've got to play some half-court basketball and they do a good job of taking away Caleb Wesson. There are 351 Division One basketball teams. Guess how many teams are undefeated? Six. Five. Who lost last night? Somebody else lost last night then. Unless I counted wrong. Duquesne, Liberty, San Diego State, Auburn, and Ohio State. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, of those teams, who should be ranked the highest? I mean, Ohio State is. Ohio State's beating two teams who are ranked in the top ten. So, they really might be number one. They literally might be number one. Well, they didn't just beat them. They smacked them around. They wiped the floor with them, and one of them, they did it in their own gym. What should should Ohio State fans be waiting for like the other shoe to drop of like, ah, they're not they're they're not this good. They're just on a good run, they're not this good. I mean, or is this legit? Because I remember whatever year it was, I think it was the f- final four year. Was it ten or nine or Jared's second year? Maybe they were like twenty four and oh. Like is like is that what we could be talking about? Yeah, because it's not like they're just shooting the ball like sixty percent every single game. They've had some games where they haven't shot it well at all either. It's their defense that's winning them games. Like I said, one team has shot forty percent, and that was Penn State, and they pulled away in that game as well. And Caleb Weston had twenty eight and ten. So yeah, if they're going to defend like this all year, then yeah, they're going to sh- they're going to be twenty four and zero before you before you know it. So yeah, that's not a crazy concept because they're getting it done on a defensive end. Okay, it was their first, it was Jared's first year. The year they were probably the best team in the country mm-hmm. and should have won the national championship and lost to Kentucky in the Sweet 16. Um, they started off 24 and 0 and they didn't lose until February 12th. So, um, this team, when will this team lose? This team's first loss will be. When do they play Michigan State? Um, January 19th. I just made that up. Go ahead. I'll look it up. <laughs> I think, I'll it's, look I think it up. it's late as far as it's, when they play. It's very them. late. Yeah. I think either whoever they play first between Michigan and Michigan State, I think one of those two games will be their first loss. I think that's a real possibility at this point. They play, good golly, they play Michigan at Michigan on February 4th, mm-hmm. and they play home against Michigan on March 1st. Is this one of these things again? They only play Michigan State once? 
Yeah. And they play them in the last game of the year. Yeah. That's so freaking stupid. I hate that. How hard is it to make a schedule? I really hate last that. I saw, Ken Palm had Michigan State favored by one point in that game. And that may have changed since then. So you're so. gonna play you're gonna go through a whole season with like the two ugh, that's so stupid. If you're only yeah. gonna play them once, play in the middle of the year. I hate that. How dumb is this? God, people who make schedules are so dumb sometimes. Okay, so we appreciate you guys listening to Buckeye Talk. Um here's what we're gonna do. We'll do a couple more Q&A things uh, on the weekend. I have a odds maker lined up for that podcast, and I might have one other special guest. That'll be more like a 45-minute one. Uh, we want to thank Chase Richardson and um, Robert Littell uh, for joining us on this one. Um, we want to thank you guys for listening. Make sure you read our stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. Try the texts. 14-day free trial. Um, four bucks a month. People seem to like it. Um, National Signing Day next Wednesday, and it sounds like we're going to have an opportunity to talk to Ohio State players about the bowl game um, next week as well. We will be heading to Arizona um, on December 22nd and 23rd. The first real interview is out there on the 24th, but a bunch of stuff. We have a bunch of stuff lined up. We can send you guys the list of stories if you want. We have a bunch of stories lined up um, until we get to uh, Arizona, so we'll certainly have you covered there at cleveland.com slash OSU. So for now, for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.